0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Happy Friday, everyone. And it is time to break down basically everything that just happened over the past two weeks. Trades, free agencies, all that and much more. We're going team by team today. Trying to figure out, hey, where are there still some, you know, depth chart holes that maybe can be filled in the draft? Where are some teams that made some moves and now all of a sudden we have a much better idea about who's going to be featured? Again, all that and so much more alongside me, as always, Dwayne. The Rock, McFarlane, Dwayne. We've talked, you know, now twice in like 24 hours after going like five days without it, man. It's good to be back.
1: Yeah, man, come on. Like, we got to get our groove going again. Like, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I missed having Ian. I missed having Ian there for a few days. But no, man, uh, excited. Like, this is fun. Like, we kind of get to go team by team, walk back through everything we kind of set up before all this started. Uh, you know, we had no clue it was going to be this wild. <laughs> I, uh, I, was Imagine, saying- I never imagined Christian Kirk would change the whole landscape <laughs> of the know. NFL. It's stupid. <laughs> Dude, stupid. thinking really, like I was thinking about us yesterday, talking about the Amari thing. Like the Cowboys, like totally should have gotten more for Amari. No, Like if they would have known like what Christian Kirk was going to get and what that was yeah. going to do to the rest of the receivers, now all of a sudden Amari, 20 mil a year, looks pretty good. You know, like that's something another team probably would have really paid more than what they did. Um, so, yeah, it's, man, just the ripple effect. Of what happened in those few first few days, and then the big trades, of course. I like
0: uh, to chill a little bit on the oh, Amari Woods. How'd you only get a six rounder for them? Because the, the contract is kind of the reason why. But yeah, I mean the fact that Christian Kirk is now making, uh, you know, best case scenario, more than Amari was. Obviously, you would have preferred if the uh, Cowboys had gotten. Yeah, that, and the, that's really, my and
1: that's my only point is that yeah. actually now like they should be more attractive options. Um, now Woods is a little older, you know, yeah. than Amari, but. Yeah, I mean, I would think they would be more attractive given the fact that, you know, they're making less than Christian Kirk and better players. Let's get right into it, starting off with the
0: Arizona Cardinals. So, Dwayne, when we started uh, the whole offseason, like Arizona just stood out as the one team where tight end, wide receiver, running back. Everyone was basically unrestricted. Yeah, we had a little bit of Kyler Murray drama, which, you know, now just seems like a decade ago based on everything that's gone on over the past few weeks. But running back, Chase Evans, now a member of the Miami Dolphins. James Conner, you could argue, is the single biggest winner of free agency, now set to be featured in Arizona. Still have some work to do on the outside. Obviously, we got Hopkins back, but as we were just talking about, the man Christian Kirk now resides in Jacksonville. A.J. Green still a free agent. I don't think Antoine Wesley's going to be starting in three wide receiver sets, but right now, Rondale Moore does project as a starting slot receiver, and Zach Ertz came back on a big thirty uh $30 million deal stretching over three years. So I think we know we're getting an Ertz. Like he was a legit tight end one during his time with the Cardinals last year. Now a lot of that did come with Hopkins out of the picture. But again, there's so few guys coming back to the offense at wide receiver, particularly right now, that I do think Ertz is, you know, going to be someone that's hard to rank outside your top 12 at a minimum outside the top 15. Dwayne, the two real interesting pieces here are one, James Conner, who you know, we talked a little bit about in the rankings. This guy is a legit top 10 running back right now. I have him, I believe, seventh um in the early ranks because he's gonna have the three-down roll that we don't see many teams give out. But Cliff Kingsbury has done that every step of the way in Arizona. So we'll see if they had anyone in the draft. But no, we're not worried about you know Benjamin uh making this, you know, a split or anything like that. Should be the James Connor show. How do you feel about Rondale Moore right now, Dwayne? Because I was doing an underdog draft last night with my lovely friends, John Daigle, Hayden Winks, uh, shout out four for four, supplying the stream. And Rondale Moore is going where he was last year, if not cheaper, like a true wide receiver four, wide receiver five at this point. And if the season started tomorrow, I think we'd have to guess that he's going to be Kyler's number two target.
1: Yeah, I think right now, Rondale, the fact that his ADP hasn't moved up with these departures and hasn't really reacted that that gets that encourages me. I think he's a player that it's a good time to be drafting him. Um, you know, because even if they draft another if they draft another receiver, like his ADP is gonna fall, but like his cost isn't so exorbitant right now that it's bad. Because if they don't draft another receiver, like his ADP is gonna move up. So he's one of those guys that I'm kind of like I have three buckets of players for best ball right now. Guys I'm trying to draft every time I can because I think their ADP is gonna go up no matter what. And then there's guys that I'm trying to avoid right now because I think they're priced at their absolute seedling. We talked about Trey Lance being one of those yesterday. And there's no way, like, even if, even if, like, uh, there's not really any more good news that could move them up in ADP, right? right. And then you got those true guys that are split. Ronald Moore is one of those. Where like either he can move either way, like based on what happens in the draft, and then the same like so he's kind of like in the Javonta Williams camp. Like if if they don't do anything in the draft, they don't add out Melvin Gordon, Javonta is going to move up from his already pretty expensive ADP. If they add Gordon or a running back, he's going to move down. So Ronald Moore is in that group for me. Um, I'm I'm very interested to see what he does. Like Cliff Kingsbury cannot like you know ball and chain this guy to the line of scrimmage know. this year. Like he can't. He has to let him now. Christian Kirk like was from the slot. He operates a lot deep down the field, stretching the seam, doing different things like that. I think Ronald Moore has the skill set to be able to do that. Obviously, a lot of his tape on college is really about, um, you know, run after the catch stuff, but it's not all on bubble screens. I mean, come on, like let's let's get this guy involved. So I agree. I think the two biggest gainers so far for the Cardinals are the upside for Ronald Moore that could be there, especially at his ADP, and then James Conner and James Conner. People are gonna have a. Uh, you know, we're we'll going to do a bigger conversation about how to think about where to draft James Conner, like next week, as we start to probably talk through like total ranks, everything coming together. Um, but when I look at James Conner, like you're going to have a challenge, it's like, okay, do I want to take a 27 year old back? Who's definitely had, you know, consistently been deemed like every year with some injuries, um, versus, you know, a younger receiver versus someone else, you know, because there's there's a legit argument, right, for trying to avoid some of these backs as they age. But he's not anywhere close to that 1500 touch mark that we talk about from, from Tej. Um, so I like Connor. I'm going to get exposure to him. But I, I agree that those are the two big winners.
0: That is Hopkins
1: could be a low key winner. Yeah,
0: I mean, that's true, too. I guess Hopkins, particularly in Dynasty, just seems to have been written off. I understand he's about to be 30 and everything, but at least for the year 2022, man, I think there's still going to be more than enough targets for the guy. We just talked about the rest of the receivers there. It should be Hopkins or bust. Now, it was a little bit concerning last year uh, to see Hopkins not really get force-fed the ball, but man, I... It was just a fairly small sample, and it was one of those things where, at least personally, I always thought, like, really starting to feed Hopkins was kind of the ace of spades they were holding in their back pocket. Unfortunately, he got hurt before they could really do that, but I feel like, yeah, I mean— come on I've seen some people floating out the you know six targets per game but he got hurt against the Packers just 15 snaps into the game comes back the next time against the Bears that was Kyler's first game back when he only threw like 15 passes so again whenever we have these uh, you know 10 game sample sizes things can get a little bit fluky in a hurry but it's a it's a good point with James Conner too we're like yeah I understand the allure and he is going to be ranked really highly and like Dalvin Cook even though I'm you know somewhat out on Dalvin and we've talked about that you're still gonna be hard-pressed to rank them outside your top 10 top 12 difference might be we just go out for the wide receiver there instead
1: After yeah, the Cardinals, connor yeah. i think connor and fournette likely settle in a second round picks you know probably i don't know mid to late seconds and i, I think it's gonna be okay to mix them in those spots i have lenny one spot ahead you agree with that yes i have him two ahead but just because of his you know it could go either way between the two guys but i have him two ahead um the thing I like with both of them is what they've shown as far as being involved in the passing game. So in PPR, I like them even more, but I think you could, I think this is interesting, right? Um, And we don't spend a lot of time on it. We can talk about this stuff more next week, but like just talking about the concept of upside and where it typically comes from. And when I look at a guy like Fournette, yeah, he's going to be 27 years old, um, but he doesn't have a ton of touches on him. And, you know, as far as getting close to any sort of cutoff where we would really be concerned. And like, I think you can make an argument, right? if you're sitting there in the second round and most likely i'm going to take cd lamb most of the time in this scenario but if you're sitting there at the end of the second round and you could take lamb or Fournette, i do think we at least need to embrace the fact that lenny could actually carry more upside than cd lamb yeah. i mean he was already the rb6 last year i get it he's in a profile where we could start to get a drop off anytime but we also could see cd lamb not take a huge step forward right that's in his range of outcomes and i'm a, i'm a proponent for lamb so i'm not i'm not trying to down talk lamb here but I just think in the Bucks offense, you got to take everything together. And then the, I think this goes back to James Conner. You can have the same kind of conversation about James Conner. I think you know we could easily see. And I get it. You can't be a projection slave because <laughs> you know weird things can happen that we don't anticipate in the NFL. So talent can, becomes a huge part of it. Um, but we're gonna have some really good conversations because I think once you get down there in that range, like if you get to early third round, and you're looking at Metcalf or Fournette. Man, I think I'm I think I'm probably hammering Fournette every time on that one.
0: If we only rank the running backs purely on rush attempts, targets, expected fantasy points, Fournette would have a case as like the RB3, man. Like, it really was that ridiculous, the amount. He he has RB1 upside. Uh, Legit overall. Like, look, Jonathan Taylor's 2021 was more, quote-unquote, fluky than Leonard Fournette's, just in terms of fantasy points over expectation. That's all I'm saying. All right, I'm not turning <laughs> you to draft Leonard Fournette over Jonathan Taylor, just saying. In terms right. of, Leonard and we're Leonard also
1: Fournette. we're also proponents of the idea that certain players are going to continue to perform over expectations yeah, because right. they're badasses. So, and we think Jonathan Taylor's probably in that. Yeah. But to your point, there's a lot of. We're only on one team. This is funny. There's a lot of flukiness that can go into the way game scripts and everything work. And Jonathan Taylor had the absolute freaking best case scenario ever on the planet last year. Like the Colts led by four more points, 40% of the time, fourth most in the NFL. So he lived in a lot of cushy game scripts. And you, if you need a reminder, look at the last week of the season when all of a sudden, like the Colts just folded against the Jaguars. What happened to the run script? What happened to the touches for Jonathan Taylor? I'm not saying that they're going to be that bad. I think Matt Ryan helps them. We'll talk about them in a minute. But just things you got to consider. So I think with Fournette, he's going to be dismissed by a lot of people just because, oh, he's a 27-year-old running back, blah, blah, blah. Dude, in PPR, what he does in the receiving game, like it's hard to dismiss it. We'll talk more about uh, Jonathan Taylor and Fortnite if we ever get to their team. I don't t- even think t- we're going to have to talk
0: about <laughs> it. Now moving on to the Falcons, obviously Matt yeah. Ryan, now a member of the Colts, being replaced under center by Marcus Mariota. Only really seen him once in extended action over the last two years. The Raiders used him as a wildcat quarterback. It was kind of weird, honestly, uh, but somewhat effective. Anyway, the one game that he did come in, I believe against the Chargers on that Thursday night, week 15 or so, 2020, did look fantastic. Dime down the sideline, the Waller, you could imagine Imagine if that was Kyle Pitts also showing off the legs. So, one of Mariota Jameis. I mean, if you, I think you could make a reasonable argument of them as a late round quarterback. I'll probably be leaning towards Daniel Jones more on that a little bit later. But overall, you know, Mariota coming in, you could at least hope that this offense could enable Kyle Pitts, who is now basically the last man standing in this, this wide receiver and tight end room. Russell Gage is taking his talents to the Buccaneers, leaving Olomide Zacchaeus as the last standing wide receiver receiver once so there is a ton of work to be done at wide receiver and not, not tight end they have Kyle Pitts but just at wide receiver in this offense at running back my guy the great the legend Cordero Patterson is back best case scenario again him James Connor Leonard Fournette Rashad Penny these running backs coming back to their original teams I think was always uh, their number one potential scenario in fantasy football land at least should continue to have Cordero I would hope now that he's had a full offseason off the high ankle sprain, don't forget to mention that. You first half, second half splitsters out there. Uh, so I think next year we can expect him to be back into that really fantasy-friendly first half of the season role. You know, 60% snaps, hopefully, uh, with all the receptions and carries he can handle behind him probably damian williams or mike davis maybe quality awesome maybe they split it don't really expect any of those backup rbs to have much of a usable uh role so Dwayne, i guess the question is like we know we have c pat we know we have kyle pitts do we care about anyone else here like are you drinking the mariota kool-aid or we just kind of need to wait and see what wide receiver ends up being drafted here
1: yeah i think there's a lot left to happen for the falcons you got two first round picks you got pick eight you got pick 12. You've got two picks in the third Ooh. in the second round. They've got I think they only have their one selection in the third. They've got the, the 58th pick overall. No, they have two in the they have two in the second as well. They've got the 43rd and 58th. So they've got multiple picks in the first three rounds, and they're gonna they're gonna do something here. So we'll, they're a team that we're gonna have to come back and revisit. As far as Mariota goes, I, I'm fine with taking a stab on a guy like Mariota late. Just realize that, that he's never truly lived up to that rushing profile that we saw at Oregon. Like he just hasn't done the same thing in the NFL. So typically quarterbacks who get at least 500 yards in a season rushing, which is really, that's what you're looking for. Like you have some guys that can add 250, 300, right? The Tannehills. And that's nice. Aaron Rodgers used to do that. But really, if you're going to talk about you want the upside of a rushing quarterback, you want to be able to hit that 500 yards rushing benchmark. And since 2011, the quarterbacks that have done that have averaged overall 23 percent of their team's rushing attempts. Now that takes scrambles plus design runs. Right. And so design rushing attempts, 15 percent scrambles per drop back, 9 percent. Mariota from 2015 to 2019 never came close to any of those things. 11 percent of his team's rushing uh, share overall. Six percent now he missed a a few games and I didn't adjust for that, so there's a little bit of that going on here. But overall, like these numbers are just too low. Six percent of the team's design rushing attempts, and that includes some games with Arthur Smith, right? Um, so five percent uh scramble per drop back, so he's just below, he doesn't do any of these things enough. Not saying he doesn't have the ability, but no team has truly unleashed him and allowed him to really do that, or is it just he doesn't want to do it? I don't know. But what I know is we've got a decent sample size and he's never done it. So I don't know that he carries as much rushing upside as folks think. Now, having said that, his ADP is super cheap. So if he flips the switch on and he does it this year, great. That's going to help you. And I mean, he could end up having some value as a fantasy quarterback, especially like in a super flex leagues. I could understand Mariota as your QB three type of a thought line.
0: It really was ridiculous how the Raiders used him last year. I mean he had thirteen rush attempts, just two pass attempts on the entire season. And teams still couldn't. And stop I didn't it. include
1: the last two years just because yeah. Just no, because no. like they were only putting him out there to do that. So yeah. yeah.
0: Like I say, you only have one extended appearance, but I just remember Thanksgiving against the Cowboys, like, yeah, guys, Mariota, it's gonna be a read option, but go score a touchdown <laughs> anyway, I guess. So yeah, that's uh, that's basically on the Falcons right now. Again, wanting to go back there once they uh, kind hey, of hey, real quick on you. Soon.
1: Um, yep. I know we'll talk these more next week, but like, and this kind of goes back to my overarching zoom out. Like, I've pretty much always I've been a proponent the last several years of tight end early. Get your stud early if you can. Like, it's a good. Track. I don't know about this
0: year though, Dwayne. I don't either, man. I
1: don't either. And Kyle Pitts has questions now. Like, Mariota scares me. Um, I get it. He's 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 the only thing in the offense, and he did enough as a rookie. Uh, PFF receiving grade of 81.6, yards per route run 2.02. 02. Those are great for a rookie tight end. So, no doubt that Kyle Pitts is talented and he's going to be good. But, man, just enough concerns. Like, they do also I want to push this now at the top? That's the point. That's All the point. Them. And his ADP is 28 overall right now on underdog. So, I think I feel just as good about honestly Kyle Hawkinson or TJ Hawkinson, like going, <laughs> Kyle Hawkinson is an old classmate. <laughs>
0: I, was, I was like, is that TJ Hawkinson. I don't know of yet? <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's, it was his name was Hoskinson, but anyway, I don't know where that came from. But anyway, uh T.J. Hawkinson, Um, like you can get him way later. That's the it, that's the thing. Like I don't know that some of these guys are going to be worth uh, taking in the second or third round when you can get another similar player in the seventh round. And we'll talk about other late round guys as we go. But I'm a little that that I'm starting to that's where I'm heading right now in my thought process for 2022 draft plans. Like, I don't think I'm going to invest a lot at the top. I'm going to get some Kelsey, but you know, the third, the hitting age 33 also worries me with him. We talked about Kelsey you
0: know, during the big Tyreek episode yesterday. Mark Andrews, you can kind of look at his splits with Lamar and also just one of those situations where maybe he just had such a great damn season it's going to be tough for him to necessarily replicate that because he was that damn good. Darren Waller now having to share the offense with Devontae Adams. George Kittle having to make the switch to Trey Lance under center yeah, man, like spare me the early ones. I'll either get a mid guy or go just dip my toe into the late uh, late round waters, you know, two or three times. So we'll keep that in mind. Moving by Alondo, we are going to talk about Mark Andrews and company. The Baltimore Ravens, not too much was going on here, at least from an offensive perspective. Obviously, you know, they had a lot of injuries in the preseason last year that put them behind the eight ball running back, but we should have J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards back to, you know, at least, you know, be a nice one-two punch behind Lamar Jackson. So, Sammy Watkins remains an unrestricted free agent. Hopefully, he can at least sign somewhere uh, for Week 1 and Week 1 alone. Otherwise, no real changes that wide receiver should continue to be. Marquise Brown, Rashad Bateman, and Devin Duvernay. But losing Watkins really does um, help Bateman. You could argue, like, if Watkins is the reason why Bateman wasn't going to break out, maybe he never was. Uh, but, you know, he is, the. I'm not surprised the Ravens were kind of keeping there incumbent veteran starter ahead of the rook just for a little bit. Otherwise, man, that's that's really almost almost a kudos to the Ravens for getting Tyler Huntley re-signed again. If Lamar happens to go down, we can legitimately trust Huntley as a nice little streaming option be thanks to his rushing upside. Uh Dwayne, you know, again, not too many changes to the overall passing game. How about a running back though? J.K. Dobbins, someone that I don't think either of us were super high on going into last season just because of the expectation that, one, obviously Lamar is going to continue to soak up all of his rush attempts, and two, Gus Edwards was sneakily plenty involved in his own right. So, you know, Ravens, I'm sure once August comes around, we're going to be hearing about Dobbins getting more involved in the pass game like they tell us every (laughs) single year. Maybe it'll be true, maybe it'll be not. Where are you landing on Dobbins right now?
1: Yeah, I, I think right now um but he's he's he fits the definition of a running back that's going to go in the dead zone that we still like because he's a younger back, you know, and he's he still got upside, right? But there are blockers. Like he's got he isn't a run heavy offense, but Lamar Jackson's going to get his and Gus Edwards, people can't forget. Like Gus Edwards got re-signed to a nice deal last offseason. And so Gus Edwards right now his his ADP on underdog is one fifty seven. Dobbins is forty four. So, I mean, to be honest, like I'm kind of like, oh, give me Gus Edwards, <laughs> you know. It's just, um, and I really do like JK Dobbins. I think he's I think he's a good I think he's a good player um so I don't I'm, I'm not trying to bash on him or anything like that I'm good with JK Dobbins I'm probably not going to have a ton of exposure though just I don't see them changing Ian I, I see them probably continuing you know to rotate these guys and I, I'm all about okay great buy into variants you know you got to be okay with it I don't know that I want to buy into a bunch of variants in round four you yeah. know what I mean like I don't think you have to there's gonna be receivers that are going to be available that you're gonna they're going to profile upside like just as good as JK Dobbins with less downside and a better median projection, you know, so that's going to be the problem for JK Dobbins. Dwayne has JK Dobbins RB
0: 24. I'm a little higher at RB 21, but yeah, I have a feeling that, you know, if you're really in on JK Dobbins this year, people are going to have him well inside of even that number. It's more so just what's going to happen in that offense, like the chances of JK Dobbins flirting with 300 plus, you know, combined targets and carries just much more slim than a lot of these other running backs. We're going to rank ahead of him. After the Ravens, we have the Buffalo Bills. Obviously, you know, had the JT or J.D. McKissick fiasco where we thought he was going to join them, ended up not, and that paved the way for Duke Johnson to come in, maybe be their scat back, maybe even fight Singletary for a few early down reps. Ultimately, he's probably not going to beef. I can almost guarantee you he won't be fantasy viable. Uh, hopefully, Devin Singletary is able to hold on to that job, but that's something where it's going to kind of need to track throughout the offseason and into the preseason because if they go ahead and just give Singletary that every down roll again, my goodness, he is going to be off viable and Dwayne you know if we sat here and we just said hey for Devin Singletary the only guy they're going to add the entire offseason is Duke Johnson we'd feel pretty good about that uh, for projecting it forward so you know Singletary is someone where if he is going to be especially falling because I don't think anyone's going to rank him too much higher than kind of from that RB 20 to RB 24 range best case. But if that's kind of the point where everyone that's been loading up on running backs starts going to wide receivers and we can see Singletary, you know, really start slipping in the rounds. Uh, he could be someone that I'd be willing to get back into, um, you know, as early as like round six or something like that. So wide receiver room also went under a bit of a makeover. Cole Beasley has been released. Manuel Sanders still unsigned. Now we we're looking at. Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis on the outside with Isaiah McKenzie and ex-Jets, ex-Washington receiver, Jamison Crowder. So, Dwayne, I'm not sure your exact thoughts on how this is going to go down at wide receiver. To me, Gabriel Davis is the biggest winner, assuming they don't add a high round draft pick. So, Crowder and McKenzie, I kind of think they'll split in a similar manner as McKenzie and Beasley did towards the end of last year, essentially canceling each other out. But Gabriel Davis, man, like, I think we've almost – it went so far one way after the 200 yards and four touchdowns in the AFC uh, divisional, you know, just incredible game against uh, the chiefs. It went so far that way. There you know, people thinking he was almost going to be overvalued so high in him right now, but now everything that's happened in the offseason has been a positive for Gabe Davis. It's not a given that they're going to draft one of these receivers in the first round or two, even if they do, maybe it is, maybe they are the next Gabe Davis and they have to wait their turn on the bench for a few years. I, mean, I think I have Gabriel Davis as, like, my wide receiver 36 right now or so, and I'm seeing him even kind of lower uh, throughout the industry. Where do you fall on him? Because we've seen Josh Allen enable, you know, Smokey Brown, Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley, in addition to Diggs. Now, there's been some injuries there to muddle that up, but it's looking like Gabriel Davis might be
1: here to stay. Yeah, I've got Gabe Davis right now at 50, um, but it, it's because, like, Right now, if people are drafting, there's no way I would draft Gabriel Davis. I think you're buying Gabriel Davis at peak ADP right now. Going? If we get through the draft and they do not add another receiver, I'll be closer in alignment with where you have him. Right now, you know, oh, got thirty. Is, geez, he's got an ADP
0: wide receiver 32. All right, chill yeah. the hell out,
1: everyone. My yeah. God. See, so right now, like, is not the time to be draft. If you're, if you're a best ball drafter and you're one of port, we've already talked to you. You can go back and listen to our episode about like when is the best, one are the best times to draft and why, and when to not draft. You're actually in a window where it can be good to draft. There's certain players you should be avoiding, and Gabriel Davis is one of those. Just because, think about it, if the Bills don't. Here's the way my thought process works. You tell me what you think, Ian. So if the Bills don't add and do not draft a receiver in the first three rounds, fine. They could draft a fifth or sixth. Who cares? Like, that's not going to impact Gabriel Davis. But if they don't draft a receiver in the first three rounds, I don't think it changes Gabriel Davis' ADP. I think he's going to stay about right where he is. I don't think people are going to push him higher than a a mid-tier wide receiver three. But if they draft another receiver in the first round or second round, I guarantee you, Gabriel Davis falls 10 to 15 spots. He's going to fall. And so if you want exposure, he, and he could, he could still be the right answer. Like he could still be, I want to have exposure to Gabriel Davis because I think he's going to have a big season. Like somebody could say that to me and I could say, Hey, I get it. Like I'm not all in on Gabriel Davis, but if I could get an ADP, you know, you know, 15 spots below that, I would feel a lot better about drafting and getting a little bit of exposure to Gabriel Davis. He could fall even more than that. If they draft a receiver in the first round, he'll fall more than that. That's my projection. I bet he falls two to three rounds if they draft a receiver in the first round, maybe more.
0: Also, just while I see him on the screen, Adam Thielen sitting there, wide receiver 36. We got to talk about him, Dwayne. Uh, Hayden Winks gave me some good thoughts on Adam Thielen. When we're looking at these guys, think like James Connors, another one, a good question to ask yourself is, if week one was tomorrow, where would we rank them just for week one? I think Thielen's someone that you can see would have an awfully big jump. And then it's like, well, why are we ranking this guy down so low in the first place? But we'll save that for the Vikings. But, yeah, Josh. And again, remember, like, there's
1: seasons of drafting. So even though you may be doing best ball – a lot of people right now are in dynasty mindset and we see yeah. this every year. So younger players are pushed up in earlier drafts. Then, you know, the draft happens and people start doing their projections and you start truly focusing on week one and you see things start to level out more. So depending on when you're drafting, like that's another thing, that you, a macro thing that you can keep in your mind of, OK, I want to attack these certain types of players. Because I think they've got a lower ADP right now or a higher ADP right now. And so that is definitely something. When people's at, when everybody's in dynasty mode, a lot of these younger players that are on teams like Gabe Davis versus Adam Thielen, these sort of things happen uh, in the ADPs.
0: OJ Howard also was signed to maybe compliment Dawson Knox, maybe be a pure backup. Dawson Knox is starting to shake out, you know, maybe this year's Robert Tunyon, just the guy that had such a good year last season, but a lot of it was on, uh, you know, high, high volume of touchdowns on a lower volume of targets. Dwayne, Knox is someone that, man, if he's going to be, you know, going in that top 10, top eight range over guys like a Dalton Schultz, Rob Gronkowski, maybe even Albert O, it's going to be tough to get behind him, man. Every every single kind of regression stat that we like to trust is telling us that Dawson Knox is probably going to have a downturn in 2022.
1: Right. I mean, look, and this isn't against the player, but Dawson Knox just is not he hasn't done anything. Like he's had three years is he's never done anything from targets per route run, never done anything on yards per route run, never done anything on PFF receiving grade. Like he's the opposite of Albert, you know, uh, like he's the opposite, right? You don't. So I'm much more likely to take an Albert O., someone like that, that I think has got that higher ceiling profile. I think Dawson Knox, what carried him, you played on one of the pass heaviest teams in the league. And so even though you were only targeted you know, 11% of the time or whatever it was last year, you happen to come through. That profile, that's a very fragile profile. Like, he could lose those targets to someone else. Um, They could throw the ball less. Like, he's really just depending on, you know, living off of basically the exhaust fumes of the Bills offense, like in my opinion. So I'm I'm not going to have much Dawson Knox at all.
0: Moving right along to the Carolina Panthers. One of the biggest losers, I would say, of the offseason, just based on the fact that, once again, it's looking like Sam Darnold is going to be their week one starter. Maybe they still go out and get Jimmy G. I would really hope they look for a quarterback in the draft this time around. Just saying, as of right now, it does look like it would be Sammy D. Cam Newton remains an unrestricted free agent. Philip Walker was uh, re-signed to be the backup again. We will see what else happens. at quarterback, Christian McCaffrey, still the RB1, in my opinion, the overall RB1 be one in fantasy land. Keep in mind, we might have a nice handcuff opportunity here, though, because last year Chuba Hubbard took that job, was given a lot of opportunities at first, really didn't do anything with him. By the end of the year, Amir Abdullah was not only taking the pass down work, but man, he was just starting to kind of take over, period, by the time Week 18 came along. But Amir Abdullah is gone, and they went ahead and gave Deontay Foreman, I believe, a one-year, $3 million deal. So Deontay Foreman, man, I've thought of, you know, worst late-round, maybe even last-round picks because if something happens, if you're of the opinion that McCaffrey is now injury-prone, he's never going to be healthy again, you should be looking hard and long at Deontay Foreman later in these drafts. At wide receiver, DJ Moore extension. My God, free DJ Moore. Now that Terry McClure – oh, man, this feels bad to say – I guess it's still a competition between DJ Moore and Terry McLaurin. Al Robinson now gets to play with Matthew Stafford. Corlin Sutton now gets to play with Russell Wilson. But my God, DJ Moore and Terry McLaurin's quarterbacks, absolutely brutal. And more, you can even go back to the Maryland Terrapins days, uh, and it gets even grosser. So please, for the love of God, at some point, get DJ Moore a quarterback. Behind him, it's still looking like Robbie Anderson, wide receiver too. Maybe he actually can provide some of that, you know, not a I don't think we're gonna get that that wide receiver two season again that we saw actually in 2020 but the disparity between Moore and Robbie is going to be so big again it's going to be hard not to call Robbie a, a value beyond that Dwayne I think we have a lot of nothing because they brought back Ian Thomas on one of free agency's weirder deals essentially eliminating our guy Tommy Trembles from the equation And at the wide receiver three spot like yeah you would like to think Terrence Marshall can turn around but he's got to beat out Brendan Zylstra who took his job last year and now is also in the picture so I think right now Dwayne it's like we know we have McCaffrey as okay RB1 RB2 RB3 whatever where do you fall on DJ Moore though because he has overcome to an extent all these shitty quarterback situations but it's not exactly getting better and uh, it's just one of those things where if you do look at Moore versus Robbie it's not exactly a given that Moore is going to be the clear-cut target leader right
1: well I, I do think DJ Moore will be the target I, leader. I do too um, but, but it's yeah yeah, I, I know what you're saying, though. I, I get it. I think last year we saw, you know, them adapt the way they used DJ Moore versus the year before, which we had this weird, like bizarro thing where DJ <laughs> Moore the year before was like the down the field target in 2020. And we all were thinking, wow, like DJ Moore like should be the intermediate and underneath guy with the occasional look down the field, like get this guy the ball. And you had Robbie Anderson running like five yard, like, dude, Robbie Anderson weighs 180 pounds, get that guy <laughs> out of there. like He's gonna die. Um, so I think they're set and what we're going to see like from the offense. So I feel good about DJ Morgan's targets. It's just, man, what's the, what's, what's a target from Sam Darnold worth? Right. Like not much, Ian, it's not worth <laughs> much. So, I mean, look, DJ Moore is living on his talent. I've got him at wide receiver 16 right now, probably probably, Closer. That's probably where I need to have DK Metcalf closer to as well, to be honest. You know, we talked about him yesterday. Um, So I I still like him because of his talent, but man, like goodness, what are they going to do? And they don't have a lot of picks. They got the number six pick overall. They're probably going to force a quarterback. They're probably going to force a quarterback. Um, You know, so we'll wait and see, but no second round picks, no third round picks. Um, so I think we're pretty set in what we're going to see as far as the skill positions and who, who's going to be playing where we'll see if Terrace Marshall can make a rebound, you know, in the study that, you know, we looked at a few weeks ago, looking at the PFF uh, receiving grades, like in the first year, Terrace Marshall graded at the very bottom, we have not seen hard, we've not seen very many players at all recover from the first type of season that he had so not super excited about Marshall, but I think we can pretty much this is a team you could project today. Um, as far as all the skill position players and kind of what you think about target shares and everything. you're probably not going to have to change much. It's really going to be the quality of the target that's going to change. And to be honest, like with these quarterbacks, in that are available in this draft, I don't know that any one of them, they may give me a little bit more hope than Sam Darnold, but like Malik Willis, like if they take him and they're going to start him, like I'm not excited about that passing game. Yeah. Can Pickett, pick it? Overrated. Um, I, we like Matt Corral, but I mean, come on, like a rookie. Matt Corral, like in most drafts, wouldn't be a first round pick. And so I think we all just, like Trevor Lawrence too, but look what look how that works out. <laughs> Exactly, trust him, you know? he's the one one. So uh, I I'm concerned. I don't think there's a lot of upside anywhere to be found unless Carolina pulls you know a rabbit out of their what? Wait, what did uh, uh I got to go with the Jason? Uh, it's it's rabbit, a rabbit, rabbit out of rabbit their head. head. <laughs> got to pull a rabbit out of their head and make some sort of a trade, you know, for a quarterback that could come in and really take over and make things happen. I just man, it's it's. It's tough to see, like, any sort of light that's going to change this situation and make it a lot more positive for me right now.
0: Let's talk another awfully mid-free agency uh, period team. The Chicago Bears, Justin Fields. The QB1 this year. We don't have to deal with the Andy Dalton QB1 tweet this time around uh, in March, but Allen Robinson has taken his talents to the Los Angeles Rams, will now be playing with the best quarterback of his career, and the Bears just decided not really replace him. We got Equinemius St. Brown from the Packers. We got Byron Pringle from the Chiefs. Um, I, I have my doubts that you know they weren't able to figure it out with Aaron Rodgers and Mahomes, but are magically going to kill it in Chicago, but as of right now, they do project to join Darnell Mooney in three wide receivers sets at tight end Jimmy Graham and his no trade clause remain on the open market Jesse James JP Holtz also there looking like Cole Komet will be the every down tight end remember though it is a new coaching staff so we can't exactly be sure on that you know I'm the late round tight end group Dwayne I'm not against Komet but Seems like he's getting a lot of benefit of the doubt over some other guys that I think are in as good of a situation, arguably. So if Komet's going to randomly be like tight end 13 while Irv Smith is tight end 18, I'm probably just going to let someone else take Komet a couple rounds ahead. And at running back, I guess this would be kind of the most, uh, we can talk about some Darnell Mooney and running back because uh, David Montgomery is still shaping up as the future back. Damian Williams out of the picture. The only real addic- addition they made was adding Darrington and Evans, who might not even you know make the team in week one. So what I was of finding in some of these underdog drafts is that khalil herbert is basically like a discount alexander madison who's already kind of discounted right now like khalil herbert as we saw last year comes in freaking terrorizes the buccaneers of all run defenses like every single watch the film checkbox you want to have with herbert he passed it and similar to i think what madison has in minnesota Madison and Herbert, they're both A-plus handcuffs. If Montgomery or Cook goes down, we're looking at every backs that are proven, every single down they can play. They're probably going to be ranked as RB1s in Madison's case absolutely would be. And they both have new coaching staffs where maybe we do just see more of a committee. Tariq Cohen's out of the picture as well in Chicago. So perhaps they lean on Herbert on pass downs. So, Dwayne, I'm... I don't really think Montgomery necessarily is going to be getting that 80% snap roll. Maybe we should, Um, you know, based on some of the new Bears coach. I was looking kind of through the coaching Wikipedias and, you know, we got, I believe it was experience with the Packers on there where it's just like, okay, we've, you know, we've kind of seen those Packers committees over the years. To me, I'm not so much high on Montgomery, but I love Khalil Herbert in the back spot of drafts and Darnell Mooney is someone that we need to just keep an eye on because as you start going down the wide receiver ranks, it's like, do I want this? number two or number three receiver in this offense or, hey, there's Darnell Mooney still his team's undisputed number one pass game option.
1: Yeah, I actually like Montgomery this year. I, I avoided him last year. I mean, he's got basically the same ADP, a little bit lower. <laughs> his ADP is a little bit lower than what it was last year. And we don't have to worry about Tariq Cohen. At yeah. this time last year, we still thought there was a, like, we didn't know Tariq Cohen was going to miss the whole year. And they had added Damian Williams, who had proven to be a solid pass-catching back. So the one thing with Herbert, he is not really a pass-catching back. At least he hasn't been so far. It's not something that he's really shown. So I don't, I don't want to say he can't ever do it. But they seem to really prefer M- Montgomery in that role. Where I see Khalil Herbert st- you know, stepping in is probably giving him a breather every third or fourth drive on early downs. So I still think Montgomery can be around that 70% mark. And I think he could get to 80. I'm with you based on the coaching staff. Probably something, I think 70% though is going to be reasonable. I think David Montgomery is going to be a value. Like he's a guy I'm not going to be calling a dead zone back that I'm avoiding. He is a replaceable player. I'm not saying David Montgomery is a great player, but he's only 25, you know, and his PFF pass blocking grade 76.6, really good for a running back. PFF receiving grade 69.2, really not, not elite, but good for a running back. Now, as far as on the ground, like Khalil Herbert, to your point, like outperformed him 84.4 PFF rush grade versus 67.7 for Montgomery. Um, but Montgomery, Montgomery did, you know, battle through some injuries. You know, what running back doesn't, I guess we probably don't even need to say that. Um, but I think with Montgomery, it's just the PPR profile that he has. Um, despite, I don't, he's not really an explosive player. Um, I think he's a solid player, he's a volume player. I think if there's a year, that you could see David Montgomery end up, you know, in the top seven or eight packs just on volume alone. This is probably the year. And I, I like the age, 25 years old. I like the ADP as well at 42.
0: Dude, where's Herbert? But totally agree on
1: Herbert. I love him as a late round lotto pick. Like what we saw from him, like I can go I've watched him actually some this offseason. <laughs> it's like it's fun to watch Khalil Herbert
0: like he's going behind guys like Gus Edwards, Kenneth Gamewell, James Robinson, who we're going to talk about, who I just don't think have the same uh, sort of best case scenario, uh, you know, outcome. So I see massive. I think you
1: should, he should go. It's, we talked about this yesterday, a game I like to play when I'm looking at these ranks and ADPs, like you're just looking for the thing that looks like this, basically, you know, a lot of people like Rich Rebar will call this arbitrage, right? You know, this, this, commodity essentially profiles similar to these other commodities that are going way ahead like it should probably be in the same tier and i think the example you gave with alexander madison is a really good one i think that's what people should be thinking about with Khalil herbert you're getting a discounted uh alexander madison that's a great round to have in the chamber late in the season if all of a sudden montgomery goes down you're going to get rb1 performances out of Khalil herbert let's see what they do in the draft but right now you're going to get rb1 performances
0: don't know many looking good. We'll see how it, that situation is kind of looking, you know, after the draft and stuff too, because if there is a team that still needs to add some firepower to the offense, like let's make it the bears. I understand. Like I, I was saying this on Twitter, like it'd be a lot cooler if the bears actually got fields. Uh, one of these, you know, high price receivers that's floating out there and everyone was quick to say, what do you do with Allen Robinson? We can't do this. We're not pulling the Baker Browns. Oh, we can't surround them with good receivers because it didn't work out one time type of thing. So not comparing fields to Baker Mayfield. I would never do that. Uh, just saying, you know, you know, it's, it's legal in the year 2022 to have more than one great wide receiver. And that's a compliment towards Darnell Mooney. Keep that in mind.
1: Bears fans. The only thing going against Mooney is his draft capital. And I think we're two years in, like I get it. These kind of players have popped up and then they'll disappear. He's a fifth round pick 173 overall. You just don't see that profile be that, you know, successful um that often but I mean his PFF receiving grade was in that second group that we talked about there's um, a lot of hits in there yeah yeah there's a lot of hits in there now a lot of them are earlier round picks but there's definitely been some later round guy I mean look what else do you want from Mooney he's a fifth round pick <laughs> he's already giving you PPR seasons of 150 and 220 points ranking 49th and 23rd like it's like to me he's a young player is he going to be a target hog? Probably not. But, you know, could he see 25% you know, of the targets? Last year he saw 23%. Um, you know, sorry, he saw 25% last year. Like, he probably is. He's probably going to see 25% again. Do I think he's going to jump to 30? Probably not. But it's in the range of outcomes. I mean, he's made a step forward each year. Hey, injuries were on the table for Robinson
0: last year. With that said, Mooney was the Bears' best wide receiver. They were in the same situation, had to deal with the same factors. Just something yeah. to keep in mind. Moving on, Cincinnati Bengals, obviously Joe Burrow, pre- quarterback of today and of the next decade plus. Running backs remain Joe Mixon, Samaj P. Ryan, Chris Evans. Not expecting too much of a change up there. Really, tight end is the only room that changed because wide receiver, we once again have Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd in three wide receiver sets. Autumn Tate remains an unrestricted free agent. Think about the possibilities, Dwayne. Auden Tate, Packers, <laughs> wide receiver one. I don't know. Just throwing it out there. We'll see where my guy Auden lands. The one room to talk about is tight end. CJ Uzama took his talents to the New York Jets. Nice Big contract for him. Hayden Hurst now comes from the Falcons. So Hayden Hurst, someone who actually made my uh, Jameis Winston All Star team a couple years ago because he was a a legitimately like okay to good receiver, but he was one of our like worst run blockers we graded at the position. And not only that, but he would have like a couple good games. It it was one of those guys where like you know he he was never on the tight end one really map. Some people I guess tried to just replace. (laughs) He was for the
1: Ravens at one point, but
0: yeah. Right. Well, he yeah (laughs) he would like in fantasy land at least with the Falcons like it took him a couple of weeks to earn the trust of everyone and then like once he did he would goose egg and then he'd earn their trust back and then he'd goose egg again so he just had was a super volatile fantasy option that also in real life was far better receiving than blocking accordingly they drafted Kyle Pitts and used him
1: as a pure backup last year so he's my, also a great trivia question to use with your friends Hayden Hurst is older than like <laughs> most players, like he's already 29, he's going to be 29 this year. That's absolutely an old rookie. Ridiculous. Well, <laughs> they,
0: they did go ahead and re-sign some of the other backup tight ends, Mitchell Wilcox and Thaddeus Moss drew sample, you know, remains there. I guess the question is, Dwayne, do we care about Hayden Hurst? We saw C.J. Uzama last year. Like, I think he was the tight end 18 in fantasy points per game, like tight end 21 overall. And I felt like he had a decent year, all things considered, but he's always – the tight end in this offense is going to be the number four, number five guy. With that said, we just kind of saw what Dawson Knox did. We saw what Robert Tunyon did the year before. Could Hayden Hurst just be that full time tight end and a great offense? The quarterback throws with 40 plus touchdowns. And all of a sudden, you know, we're looking at it in week eight. And it's like, yeah, why didn't we take a chance on the fairly receiving friendly tight end with Joe freaking Burrow throwing him the ball?
1: He actually profiles, like, just from a utilization standpoint, really similar to CJ Uzama. You know, so I, I think, yes, I think that's in the range of outcomes. I, we'll, we'll see what people do with his ADP. Do they get excited? You know, people, you know, a lot of times, it's the recency bias is strong. It's like, Oh, look what Ozama did. Like we would be fine using him. I mean, he's obviously not going to move that much up in ADP, but I think as a, as a late round guy, especially in a deeper draft, like in in thinking of him as a potential option on, I love him in best ball. I'm never going to know when to start Hayden Hurst in a season long league. Like basically everyone else will have to be hurt. And I'm like, well, guess I'm putting Hayden Hurst in and hope this works out. But like in a best ball scenario, I think Hayden Hurst, yes, could give you those spike weeks. He ends up doing what Uzama did. Now he's never had that. Now Uzama did always have that underlying athletic profile, but I think sometimes we overrate that athletic profile as yeah. players get older, right? Uzama's not. Uzama doesn't run the same speed. I promise you guys, like that he ran like it is forty combine. Like he's an older player too. Um, so when you look at a guy like Hayden Hurst, um, you know he didn't quite profile the same way. But we've seen tight ends as they get older, it's more. It's really more about, hey, understanding the way the zones work, all those sort of things. The quarterback trusts you. I think Hayden Hurst can do that. So I, I think that's a good um, call on your part.
0: By the way, shout out over the cap.com, who we've really been showing, you know, the free agents and all that here for
1: you. you hey, check. I think the, the other big thing here too, Ian, is just really the offensive line. Like yeah, the biggest thing for me is offensive line improvements for Joe Burrow. They had major problems at guard last year. Um, you know, two years ago, they, you know, drafted a tackle in the first round with Jonah Williams. Um, but the guard play was just really terrible last year. So we saw a big upgrade for the Bengals. And if you look at Joe Burrow, what was the major problem? Taking too many sacks last year, yeah. and he was overcoming them like at a at a rate that wasn't sustainable, to be honest. Um, so now, like, if you can keep the offense more on schedule, stop negative. Look, sacks are almost sacks are almost as detrimental to you as a football team as a, as an interception. Like they are huge swings as far as what your expected points added on a drive look like when you take a sack. So I expect to see far less sacks on Joe Burrow this year, more time for him to survey the field, find those weapons, because you can see Burrow's got that gunslinger mentality. He may not have the arm of a Brett Favre, but he definitely he doesn't want to settle. Like, he, he's going to hang on, and he's going to look, and he's going to give his guys time so that he can try to make a big play down the field. And so I think you're going to see more of those things work out for him this season, which is great overall for the whole offense.
0: I think one of the biggest holes in fantasy football as a game is that sacks don't mean anything half the time. Oh, yeah. Like It's a huge part of any game. Like, how many plays – like, it's, it's not an incomplete pass. Like, it matters, you know. Like, this should not be one of the statistics that leads to absolutely no points. I'm not saying it should be, you know, equivalent – to an interception, but like minus 0.5 for a sack. That would kind of make sense to me. I've heard, uh I've had some people ask me in the off season, like how could we fix fantasy football to make, uh, you know, Russian quarterbacks, like less great. Like how could we make Jalen hurts, like be, not a star in fantasy whereas you know in real life he's an average to probably below average quarterback at least relative to the other starters in the league and i thought adding sacks into the equation would help that now then you would also have some you know pocket passers who don't run and they take a lot of sacks and it'd be kind (laughs) of it'd be kind of spitting on their fantasy grave uh you know for for lack of a better example but But no i agree i
1: like those ideas like and we've tried to incorporate those into like some of the home leagues that i play and like different you know different roles and tweaking scoring by position you know, to make things more equal. Um, and fish, Scott fish does a great job of of looking at stuff like that for the fishbowl. So Scott fishbowl, if you guys haven't played in it, like trying to get into that, like it's a great format. And I love it because it's also cool because everybody has to adjust to all the rules. Like it's not just something you're used to. You're like, okay, what does this mean? Like, I got (laughs) to think about these sacks now. I got to think about first down stuff like that. So
0: Cleveland Browns staying inside the AFC North. Obviously, you know, biggest move of of free agency was the trade for Deshaun Watson. Now it's inevitable he's going to be suspended. We don't know for how long. uh, You know, once we do know, then we'll be immediately able to kind of make some takeaways for it. But when Deshaun Watson is under center, we are expecting him to be a top five fantasy quarterback and a top ten At a minimum, real-life signal caller. When he's not under center, it will not be Case Keenum. It will actually be Jacoby Brissett. Assuming that Baker's not going to stick around and be the backup, I would be shocked if he uh, is even given that opportunity. Um, We also have Nick Mullins hanging around as an unrestricted free agent. But it sure seems like Jacoby will be that guy. And, hey, I know for uh, Underdog right now, their big contest is actually super flex. So Jacoby Brissett, at the end of these drafts, you're getting a handful of games to start the year. Who knows? Maybe Watson, maybe the NFL tries to, you know, get a grip on some of this backlash. I don't, I wouldn't think a full season suspension is on the table. I'm just saying if you want to try to take down this tournament, Kobe Brissett is actually, you know, looking like he's going to have like a far higher, uh, a number of starts in the guys that are going ahead of him. That's all I'm trying to say. Don't sell, you know, don't sell your soul and get your Kobe Brissett on your fantasy team. Just something to keep in mind for these tournaments. Running back will continue to be Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. They did bring back the Ernest Johnson. He was only an exclusive rights free agent, though, so it wasn't too hard. At wide receiver, they traded for Amari Cooper to basically replace each of Jarvis Landry, still a free agent. Richard Higgins signed with the Panthers and obviously Odo Beckham Jr. Uh, was never a part of the team after about week seven last year. So Mari Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones, probably Anthony Schwartz and three wide receiver sets right now. Yes, they will be adding to the position in the draft. Tight end, probably our biggest kind of takeaway right now because Austin Hooper got cut, went ahead and went to Tennessee, leaving us with David Njoku and Harrison Bryant to start. Dwayne, I found a, had someone bring an old tweet of mine from, I think it was like May 2020 uh, to the table where, you know, Nostra Ian over here said that David Njoku catches 10 touchdowns from Deshaun Watson if they ever got to link up together. Now, I was thinking the Browns could trade David Njoku because he's been dangled in trade talks for the last like three years. But. Now they franchise him. Now he's apparently tight end one in Cleveland. I was thinking that would be him in Houston as the full-time tight end. As we saw last year and really the last two years, we haven't had a full-time tight end in Cleveland. Austin Hooper wasn't. Najoku hasn't been. Brian hasn't been. Is the David Najoku hype getting a little too high, Dwayne, particularly considering we're not going to have the quarterback that we're really getting hyped about anyway for what? I, I would guess six games is a reasonable guess.
1: Yeah, and here's the problem with the Deshaun Watson stuff. Like, I don't see. There's no incentive for the league to hurry up and make their mind.
0: Yeah, you know they've been getting uh, you know,
1: blasted just, on this,
0: and now with and now with them giving him like uh, to me, the slimiest thing of the whole ordeal is the one million dollars he's getting paid for twenty twenty
1: one. That that sent people over the edge for yeah. sure, and rightfully so. I get it. I, yes. I think there. So here's the deal. There's a chance he suspended the whole year. Like it's in the range of outcomes for Watson. I was actually thinking about this some yesterday. And for the league, like, what incentive do they have to hurry up? Because I think they just want to get as much information as they can. The last thing you want to do is give him, you know, either way, too short of a suspension – You know, and then all of a sudden this other news all breaks and you're like, holy crap, like how do we reel this back in? Like we should have suspended him longer. And then there's the opposite side. Right. You know, you go and suspend him for a year now and then all this other evidence comes out that, you know, he didn't do something. So I think they're only going to wait. I think they're going to wait as far as they can. Maybe we'll get tidbits of information, I'm sure, along the way, you know, as we hear about the cases play out. Um, but I don't think the NFL is going to give us any inclination of what they're doing. We're not going to know anything about what the NFL is thinking until they do it. And I think they will wait as long as they could. It could linger on into deep into training camp, you know, depending on, you know, what the, I don't know what the schedule looks like for a lot of the legal stuff. So um, I haven't studied any of that. But I think if you're going to if you're going to roll with Deshaun Watson, I think you just got to accept it, that you're just accepting that in that portion of your portfolio where you're drafting him, especially in best ball. You're essentially saying, look, if this works out to the positive, like I'm gonna get value out of it. If it doesn't, I'm not. And this team's probably dead. Yeah. So it's just that's the way you got to think about it, in my opinion. Um, so I think we're gonna be probably left dangling for for quite a time. As far as just the Browns overall, I think the pecking order that you laid out is probably right. I think you got Amari Cooper one, David and Joku two. Donovan Peoples-Jones, three, we'll see. They do have, like, so their draft picks real quick. They don't have a first round pick, but the Browns do have pick 44 in the second round. Um, So that's round two, overall pick 44. And then they've got two picks in the third. So pick 78 overall and then pick 99. And then they've got a fairly, I mean, a 118 in the fourth. But those first three picks, they could easily spend one of those uh, on adding another weapon right for Watson I think they have to I think you've got to add another receiver Uh, so I think pick 44 could easily be a receiver there's some other things they could do with it but one of those first three picks likely is a wide receiver if I had to guess just because Schwartz so showed so little not to say he couldn't come do something this year didn't really have a lot of playing time though Uh, so when you can't get your way onto the field like that's like a bit of a red flag in itself Um, didn't have enough routes for me to really grade him as far as like looking at the PFF grades though.
0: I think a lot of people were shocked when he went as high as he did. I mean, that's yes. the perception I believe was a kind of a one trick pony, just speed guy. And I, I'm not so sure he's going to be able to add the sort of nuance he needs to, you know, be a big fancy factor in 2022 Nick Chubb. Is he someone that you moved up much with the Deshaun Watson news? I feel like the Nick Chubb problem is the same. As it's always been the Browns refused to give him the ball. And now, honestly, like we mentioned uh, Dearness Johnson coming back, like, There's nothing more annoying than that game last year. I think it was against Pittsburgh, where the Browns were technically still in it. We all kind of saw the writing on the wall, but Kareem Hunt was out. Nick Chubb was in there The Browns go down and Dearness Johnson was playing ahead of Nick Chubb and like Troy Aiken was like losing his damn mind uh, about him being on the sideline. Maybe it was someone else, but like, that's what it is, Dwayne. They refu- it's- Nick Chubb is like Derrick Henry. He's an absolute monster of an early down back and his team refuses to throw him the ball despite him again, not being Christian McCaffrey by any stretch, but being capable enough so i have him right now rb 13 i believe you have him the same i probably would still take you know the mixins the swifts the camaras of the world ahead of him i do have trouble ahead of aaron jones javante cam Akers, and some other guys so i don't hate nick chubb but I, i've saw, seen a few people like oh my gosh nick chubb like rb1 now let's uh get all behind him because watson's there I don't know, man. We saw Lamar Miller do some things with Watson. I'm not, you know, completely terrified of the uh, mobile QB threat. It's more so just the fact that when Chubb and Hunt are healthy, we've already known that's going to be split. And now we also know that Nick Chubb is two injuries away from maybe having a featured role.
1: Yeah, I mean, the only hope for Chubb really is that the Browns decide for some reason to move on from Kareem Hunt. Like I think that's really what Chubb needs. Look, and we love Chubb. Like he's the top he's the top three running back in the league as far you could argue he's the best running back in the league is a pure rusher. Like he's in the top of every of all the cool stats that we care about and that we like. He's in the top of all of them. So you can't you can't disrespect Nick Chubb. Like he's just unfortunate the situation that he's landed in. But I think overall, like adding Deshaun Watson, you know, if you get you know, a lot of games from Deshaun Watson, once that happens, I think that overall helps a player like Nick Chubb, just because the overall scoring potential of the offense goes up, right? And what does Nick Chubb do? What does he rely a lot on? Scoring touchdowns. Um, The good thing is he can break them from a long ways away, but he can also score them in close. The utilization stuff is going to be maddening for you with Hunt and then also re-signing Dearness Johnson. But the talent is there. And so if theoretically you get an offense that's now better, scoring more touchdowns, Nick Chubb's going to get his share of those. I think that could help him, but it's just not enough to like, you know, you can't really bump him up PPR rankings, especially because of the challenges you already mentioned. Kareem Hunt. Zero
0: dollars in dead money with over six million in cap savings. If the Browns decide to cut or trade him at any time. So certainly something to keep an eye on. And if that happened, all of a sudden, Dearness Johnson, you know, we would really need to pound him until, uh, you know, the ADP actually goes to match it. I'm not saying it'd be a one for one switch with Hunt and Dearness, but Dearness would all of a sudden be right there in kind of that Madison Herbert tier as potential standalone flex. You're not feeling good about it. And then a, you know, workhorse handcuff if the situation should arise. Our Dallas Cowboys are up next, reigning number one scoring offense in the NFL. We'll be looking a little bit different next year. Obviously, Dak back, unfortunately, Zeke back, Tony Pollard behind him. Three wide receiver sets, though, looking like CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup. We'll see when he's back in action. You know, the ACL surgery took a long time to happen, but now it seemed to be indicating that he should be back um, and hopefully ready to go by week one. The Cowboys' long-term deal and decision to move on from Amari Cooper would certainly add credence to that idea. Guys, see who the wide receiver three is going to be. James Washington is now in town on like a veteran's minimum deal. Noah Brown's back just to confuse us more than ever with him and CeeDee Lamb are on the field. At the same time, Cedric Wilson signed with the Dolphins. So, I would give the edge towards James Washington joining Gallup on the outside with CD in the slot, but it is far from a given at this point. I know we've all talked a lot about, you know, Jerry Jones maybe having his eye on a certain Arkansas receiver at the end of the first round if he is still there. Finally, at tight end, Dalton Schultz is now uh, the featured tight end. Blake Jarwin was released. Schultz on that franchise tag. So, Dwayne, it's still a pretty sick offense. I think the offensive line dominance is kind of coming to an end. Obviously, they had to lose Lel Collins, and you know we would imagine they're going to try to really start retooling that group through the draft. But I still think you'd be hard pressed to rank, you know, more than uh, I don't know five to eight offenses ahead of the Cowboys if you're trying to project the top scoring units ahead of next year. We love CD. Where is Zeke going to go, though? Because, look, it wasn't pretty last year. We all know Tony Pollard is better with the ball in his hands. But, Dwayne, the Cowboys aren't releasing him. They're not going to bench him. And let's give the guy a little bit of credit. Before he got hurt last year, he was running pretty damn well. I'm old enough to remember in that Vikings game when he made the game-winning play and that sweet ass dump down. He breaks two tackles and actually shows some burst uh, for a change. So, Look, it's not pretty, but we can see Zeke fall into the end zone 15 times, and it wouldn't be completely shocking. Zeke Elliott is someone that could be there in round five or something. We've never been able to get him really outside the first round, maybe the second round. Are we completely out on Zeke, or are we taking this buying
1: opportunity? Um, Look, I mean, I'll have some shares of Zeke. I I don't think there's a lot of upside here, (laughs) to be honest, at this point. Like, it's just – his underlying you know data points have just continued to decline so it's not it's not just a volume thing for zeke where you know you know he lost touches to injury last year um you know, if you look at his pff receiving grades you look at his uh, pff rushing grades like they're down like if you, i mean really everything that we look at like the you know his explosive play rate all those things like he just he's not doing what he was doing early in his career he was never like a huge explosive play guy but i think you're just seeing them start to wear down. And then I think on top of that, the offensive line issues. Now, the Cowboys, a lot of people are saying, hey, Traylon Burks at 24. And I think, you know, with Jerry Jones and an Arkansas player, right, that could definitely happen. But my guess is they, tra- they take an offensive lineman with their first pick. You know, they could take offensive lineman with their first two picks. Like, that could happen as well. So I-, I definitely expect them to address the offensive line in the first three rounds of the draft. So if they could take two offensive linemen that we feel good about, maybe that gets us a little bit higher on Zeke. Um, I don't think it's a situation where we think that all of a sudden Tony Pollard is going to take over the backfield. I think we've just seen the days of Zeke dominating the whole backfield. are gone. But to your point, like ADP right now, like I was actually looking at draft boards where, yeah, I've seen him falling into the fifth round. Like people are completely avoiding. Ezekiel Elliott. So I think there could be some value that you could mine from it. Again, we'll have to start talking about it in the context of what's the opportunity cost of the players that you're passing. Um, But I mean, if you could get a player in the fourth or fifth round, Ian, that I think is probably going to project out as a 250 point player, like that's probably where Zeke's going to project for us. Um, Like, you could do worse, <laughs> you know, than, than drafting someone that's going to spot you two fifty uh, in the fourth or fifth round. Again, not a player I plan on having, you know, overexposure to. Uh, but to your point, he did play hurt down the stretch. You know, he ended up not missing games last year, but playing with an injury. So that that's obviously a factor.
0: Okay, Michael Gallup was going to be my uh, last point here. All right. My goodness. <laughs> You have him ranked wide receiver 47. Is that more of a hedge on his overall health? Because Gallup does seem like someone where if he is ready to go by week one, uh, you know, he's certainly someone that I'd feel good about starting on the squad and, you know, just seems like the definition of an upside wide receiver three. That, hey, if he, you know, if we see these weeks that, you know, Cowboys week one against the Buccaneers where Cooper and Cedar are both balling out, like I don't think the drop off from Cooper to Gallup in terms of what they bring to the table is that big. Now Gallup's being priced, you know, far beneath. Where Cooper was.
1: Yeah. Um, it is a hedge. Like it was just it, the injury was so late in the season, and then they had to wait to do the surgery. Um, so it's really like where's Gallup gonna be from a health standpoint? I'm not as high on Gallup as some folks are. Um, like I like him, I don't think he's a guy that's ever gonna demand 25-30 percent of an offense. I think he's a nice outside weapon that gives you contested catch, uh, you know, upside. Um, he's a guy that Dak likes to go when he sees that single man coverage, like he's one of Dak's favorite players to go to. So Gallup's obviously going to get his targets. I just, I was kind of surprised, you know, that they re-signed him for what they did. It ended up looking like a decent contract once everybody else signed right? (laughs) um, for the amounts that they did. Like it made Michael Gallup's contract look way better. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like him if if we knew he was fully healthy, I think you just nailed it. Like he's a wide receiver three. I don't know how much upside he has. I, I guess he does have some. I just think looking at him now at this point, like we've got multiple years of data on him. And like he just doesn't have like that profile to me that pops as being like, oh man, this guy's going to take this huge step forward. But a solid receiver, like he could be a really good receiver in a good passing offense. And even if he just got, say, 22% of the targets, something like that, if the Cowboys offense is cooking and he's catching a lot of the touchdowns, like that's really where Gallup could come through for you in a big way.
0: Moving on to the Denver Broncos. Biggest winner of the offseason in terms of Kevin Cole's um, awesome updating uh, wins above replacement graph that he's been shooting out over on the old Twitter sphere. I believe last time he updated it, it was Broncos one and Colts number two, obviously, because, you know, upgrading that QB position is going to give you uh, the most war other than anywhere else. But that was not the only kind of. Uh, addition or subtraction they made No, Fant now a member of the Seahawks opening up the potential for Albert O to be a big time winner here Dwayne and I talk a lot about Albert O on our kind of rankings pod that was released Thursday long story short he is someone that we're riding with as a low end tight end one right now we just got to you know, continue to keep an eye throughout free agency and into the draft that they don't add someone to split reps but showing a lot of confidence with him right now they've only brought in Eric Tomlinson, Andrew Beck uh, to the equation both of whom can be considered block first tight end. So the big outstanding question, Dwayne, because look, there's wide receivers galore here. Judy Sutton, Hamler, and uh, Tim Patrick. honestly, I think we can really take advantage of the Broncos right now in best ball because the confusion, the uncertainty going around the pecking order is the reason why these guys are priced where they are in the first place. We all know Russell Wilson is going to be putting up some numbers. That's why most people have him as a top 10 fantasy QB, but it's like the inverse of what we, you know, talk about trying to find some value, you know, like the Pittsburgh Steelers teams from a couple of years ago, where it's like uh, some some of the Eli Manning's teams where it's like, Hey, we have two wide receivers. We love, we have a running back. We love, we have a tight end. We love why is is the quarterback ranked outside the top 20 with the Broncos. We have a quarterback. We love, we, we like all the other guys. I mean, Javante is an RB one, obviously, but all the wide receivers are wide receiver threes or lower. Cause we don't know who's getting the ball first. And even Albert O man, like he, worst case, he's going to be creeping up as a low end tight end. one might still be there in a double digit round. So I think the Broncos right now, offer you the cheapest high upside stack that you can get and basically all fantasy football i love it Dwayne. we got to hang our hat on one of these wide receivers jerry judy versus Cortland sutton or just take the cheapest one tim patrick a couple rounds later or maybe take all of them because again you don't even have to use a high round pick on these guys right now
1: yeah i don't mind stacking you know um russ wilson with sutton and judy i mean if you look at right now i mean it's 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 like you said, It's they're not like super discounted. But to your point, there's enough confusion in the marketplace about who's going to get what that, you know, you, you can make it work. You can make it work on a team. Um, they're going pretty close together. I'm pulling it back up right now. Yeah, I've got right now. And I updated this last week, but underdog Sutton 96, uh, Judy going 77 overall. So you could easily, you know, and then you got Russ Wilson going 93. So you could easily go Jerry, Judy, Russell, Wilson, Cortland Sutton. And you could still add Albert O. Like, yeah. you could have you could have the whole offense. If it's you, so you know, easy. I, I agree. Like, that's the immediate – and we talked about it yesterday. Um, Russ Wilson, I just moved up in my ranks, um, you know, yesterday as well. So, like, he's just a guy that I think right now, at this point, I like him over Dak. Um, just yeah. because I think Wilson still gives you more upside as far as a rusher. I know it's gone down, mm-hmm. but Dak doesn't run the ball at all. So if we think there's two kind of similar potential similar ceilings for these two offenses and I would argue that's probably the case. I think you got two it's like you mentioned with Cooper moving on like it's a good offense but they got some questions at offensive line and things like that. I think you got, you know, with well you could argue for Russ Wilson like just as good of a supporting cast, but he gives you more upside on the ground. And look, to be honest, like we've just seen Russ Wilson give us more of these upside seasons like whenever he's in an offense that allows him to actually unleash, you know, as far as a passer. And I think that's what we're gonna see this year with the Broncos. So yeah, I love it. Um all over the Broncos and best ball and making those stacks.
0: Right now, Judy, wide receiver thirty seven, Courtland Sutton, wide receiver forty five. Not saying those won't increase as the offseason goes on, but like If Judy wins out and if Patrick wins out, like Sutton could still finish as a wide receiver 45 without too much problem. That's like his worst case scenario. That's where he's being priced. Those are the exact sort of situations we want to keep an eye on. And obviously with Javante, if Melvin Gordon is completely out of the picture, as Dwayne ranked, you know, back in January, assuming that was the case, he could legitimately be as high as, you know, the RB2 overall. That is his upside. Gordon's back going to be probably more of a borderline RB1 upside RB2. You would like to think he's going to take over that job but we can't quite assume that as great as Javante was last year. I love missed tackles force per carry Dwayne. I'm not so sure that's what the Brown what the Broncos are basing uh, the entirety of their decision on. Moving on. Last team in the D's, the Detroit Lions. Jared Goff seemingly back under center. We're hearing some heat about Malik Willis potentially to the Lions at number two. But you know, hey, maybe that's This will Malik be Willis
1: thing it. is nuts to me.
0: Like Malik <laughs> Willis is not the number two
1: freaking pick in the NFL. Come on, people. Dwayne, like, did you not see doing? did you
0: not see the bomb
1: he threw against air? Like that didn't change yeah, your I, whole career. I like Malik Willis. Like, but what are we doing? Like last year, like what do you have even been a first round pick? What are we doing? I don't get it. Like and look, I get it. You want to spend you want to throw darts at quarterbacks, you want to get them on a rookie contract. But at some point, the equation has to say, how likely do we think this guy can be to succeed? Not just oh he plays quarterback, so I want to spend a pick and see what happens. I just don't get it. Kenny Pickett pushing in the top 10 of the draft. Like we're all it's going to be funny when the draft comes. And freaking no quarterback goes to like pick twenty five, and the league's just like you guys are like all over reading the situation. Uh, like, look, like, I, I know we could have like four go in the first round because it's such an po- important position. Man, I just I'm out. Like Malik Willis at pick two, give me a freaking break. Like, let's move on. Four for four is finest. Johnny Daigle was uh,
0: I, I think he was maybe talking about Greg Rosenthal. I don't want I don't want to miss quote the person. So Daigle told me that some source was pointing out that. Their opinion was that the NFL is a lot lower on Malik Willis than you know draft Twitter happens to be, which would make sense, man. Lamar Jackson fell to pick thirty-one. That was Dane
1: Brugler and Brugler. Okay,
0: yes, yeah. there we go. That was it. I, I think they're doing a, a pod on the Athletic that I've heard is very. Yeah, lovely.
1: I always listen to their stuff. It's really good. If people, I, I love it. Gives me a my once a week update like on the draft oh. and what especially getting to hear like what we think NFL teams are thinking. I love hearing their, like what they talk about the prospects too. But yeah.
0: Yes. I, we, we love our guy, uh, Mike Renner, you know, PFFs league college uh, draft analyst, but uh, truly Dane Brugler, Lance Erlon, you know, we can make a Mount Rushmore and put all those guys right yeah, there. on. Love so all those guys. We'll see what happens at quarterback right now. Look, if Jared Goff is back, no, we're not interested in Jared Goff for fantasy, but that would be great news for Monra St. Brown, Deandre Swift and TJ Hawkinson. Cause Goff is terrified to throw the ball downfield josh reynolds Khalif raymond back so is dj chark on the outside the the hype that Chark is kind of getting okay I'm fine throwing a late rounder at the guy but hell man it was a one-year 10 million dollar deal you would like to think that's going to guarantee him a start and a spot in three wide receiver sets but it's not a total given there's a chance that Reynolds Raymond and Chark do some sort of weird rotation on the outside either way I think the biggest winner throughout this offseason yes is Amonra St. Brown if you could start free agency and say hey the only wide receiver the lions are going to add is dj chark you can tell me that's a negative for amonra like how was there ever going to be a positive in that case so uh Dwayne, you know i was citing your uh, exact what was the threshold for a PFF receiving grade
1: was it 80 that amonra uh, hit well 8 well 80 is is like like super elite but for mm-hmm. the study i actually used 75 and above like the okay. hit rate on those were were really huge but yeah brown got over the 80 threshold
0: He was great. So get the freaking draft capital out of your mind. Realize he was great. I understand DeAndre Swift and Hawkinson were banged up during the stretch. But, like, this is once again going to be a bad team. I think the Lions are a year away from being a year away still. Monroe St. Brown, like when we have, I feel like our first instinct sometimes is when a player plays really well. So just assume they're going to fall off a cliff. And it's like, guys, we found a potential fantasy wide receiver one. At worst, someone that I think you'd be hard pressed to rank uh, outside the top 24 in Detroit. Just be happy about it. Why is it so hard, Dwayne?
1: I don't know. I got a <laughs> wide receiver 19. I love him. You know, he hit the PFF receiving grade of 80, like you talked about. Um, you know, targets per route run twenty-two percent, and then like down the stretch, like having multiple back to back to back to back to back thirty percent target share games. Like, it, it you have to be good at some point to do that because the the team you're playing opposite of you, you have to realize they're watching three to four weeks of film. They're really <laughs> hyper focused on, and eventually they start seeing this guy, I'm on Ross, Saint Brown. I'm like, who is this guy? Like, this is the guy we got to stop. And guess what? Amon Ross St. Brown kept doing his thing. Is he is he isolated a little bit by getting a lot of his work from the slot? Yeah. But he also worked outside down the stretch at the end of last season. So he wasn't just a slot receiver. So I'm with you. Like, the DJ Chark thing, I think, is actually – it's fine. I think it gives them a, another deep threat. I think that helps St. Brown. Um, but I think it's interesting, right? Well, people are like, well, it's Hawkinson and Swift. Like, what NFL offense really – like, I don't get it. Like I, we talked about it last year. We said most likely Swift and Hawkinson are going to be the most targeted players on, on the lions. But now you find out you have this player in St. Brown, like to me, get more of the passes to Hawkinson and St. Brown. Don't throw as many balls to the running backs. Cause I mean, on a targets per route basis, we even had, you know uh, you know, we even had Williams like involved, Jamal Williams was involved. So I think it's just a situation where you throw a little bit less to your running backs that opens up additional targets to go to Amon Ross St. Brown that are going to be, you're going to get in higher expected points added per play on them. You get yeah. TJ Hawkinson, the ball as well. And then you got a deep threat in DJ chart. We'll see what Josh Reynolds or some of these other guys can do. Um, I I love Amon Ross St. Brown and he's, he's another player that I don't think you have to draft right now. in best fall. I think his ADP is probably as high as it's going to get. I don't think it would go any higher if Detroit totally avoids drafting receiver in the first three rounds. I don't think Amon Ross St. Brown's ADP gets any higher than it is today. But if the Lions were to draft a receiver in the first or second round, Amon Ross St. Brown's ADP is going to fall. Kind of similar to what we talked about with Gabe Davis. And that's going to be the moment where I'm going to be super excited to pounce on grabbing more of the Amon Ross St. Brown shares. Because no matter who they draft, I think he performed well enough in his own right that you know he's going to be a value if his ADP falls
0: it's not going to be the Raiders adding Devontae freaking Adams to the offense. You know, like we we've, we've avoided like the nuclear bombs basically right. that could take out a Ra so far uh, TJ Hawkinson. You know, we talked about him before as a pretty nice, you know, if you just don't want to touch those top five tight ends, but don't want to completely ignore uh, you know, the early mid round scene. I think Hawk makes a lot of sense there as tight end six. I would just say Jamal Williams is someone that if he plays 17 games, he's going to have over 200 touches. We're going to be annoyed at him splitting the carries with Swift. Supposed to get the fantasy friendly receiving work. Like that's why he should be ranked ahead of Williams. As we saw, you know, when Swift went down, you know, Williams wasn't even a great handcuff. He was a little bit banged up, too. I'm not saying he's in the Madison Pollard tier, but Dwayne, like last night when I was doing the underdog draft, Williams was there like round 18 or 19 at the very end with a bunch of absolute nobodies. So all I'm saying is with Jamal Williams, if you go, you know, complete zero RB, you can do a lot worse at the very end of the draft than someone that again has a good chance of seeing, you know, over 200 touches. So don't freak out. But as we saw, you know, he what RB five after week one of last year you know I, I would think they're not going to throw him the ball that much maybe they do so detroit likes jamal now, look, williams. the thing that
1: happened to jamal williams is he got game scripted out right you know the same way that some players get game scripted he kind of had honestly
0: like all right it was a far worse offense but the arizona cardinals like chase edmonds was there. deandre swift and james connor was there. jamal williams
1: Ex- exactly that that's right yes and so i mean williams if the lions take a step forward which is a big if right um you could see Williams' role expand. That and I don't I think DeAndre Swift can still give you value. But I think the most likely scenario is you see a little more Jamal Williams this year um because I truly do believe it was the way the game scripts went that really, you know, phased him out of the offense more so than it just being Swift taking over. And, and I like Swift. Like Swift's are, look. He's a young back, going to be 24 this year. He's involved in the passing game. Um there are definitely holes in his game though. It's not like, you know, Swift has come through in every way on the fantasy points, but he's definitely had some luck go his way, all the blowout scripts, making some of the long plays, and we give him credit for those things, but like, look, his overall PFF grade 57.8, his PFF rushing grade is a 61.3, Jamal Williams is actually better, a 68.4. Um, the explosive play rate is what did it for Swift last year. He had a few plays that really kind of you know sent him over the edge. His explosive play rate was 14%. So that's a carry of 10 yards or more um, divided by the number of rushing attempts the player had and it was 8% for Jamal Williams, which makes sense like Swift probably still the more explosive player going to get you know, he'll give you more negative plays also going to give you more big plays. The guy they prefer whenever they're in the two-minute offense, whenever they're in long down and distance. So those things all still go in Swift's favor. But if all of a sudden, you know, the, the Lions weren't, you know, losing the most in the NFL, and now all of a sudden, what if they were, like, just below average in their number of game strips, you know, where they're losing by four or more points? That will impact, like, the utilization of Jamal Williams, in my opinion.
0: He was getting better before he got hurt on the ground, but we need to keep in mind, like if we're going to use all those statistics to like reward Javante Williams and give him a nice bump, God can't just ignore them for, you know, Deandre Swift when it does indicate that Jamal Williams probably will continue to be annoyingly involved on the ground. It's not egregious though. Like it's kind of like Melvin Gordon, Javante, like Jamal is not bad. He's never been bad. Like Aaron Jones was awesome. I understand why we wanted Jones over Williams for fantasy purposes, but still certainly a guy where you recognize why professional team would use him in a committee. Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers back. Devontae Adams, not so much. Now a member of the Las Vegas Raiders. Robert Tunyon did come back to be their starting tight end again. That's, you know, another hat in the late-round tight end game and another reason why I am more than fine, you know, kind of fading these top five guys for the most part this year. Uh, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon still in the backfield. After that is a complete mess. Randall Cobb, Alan Lazard, Malik Taylor. There are not many guys here in Green Bay. I... Did MBS officially sign with the Chiefs, Dwayne? I saw he tweeted like a – it seemed like he was like happy about making a decision and then I couldn't actually find something about him making the decision. Yeah, he signed. Okay, yeah. he did. Cool. Yeah, he he's with the Chiefs officially. So yeah, I mean, this again, it's a passing game that we just can't talk too much about right now at wide receiver because I highly, highly doubt how Lazard and Randall Cobb are actually going to be the top two targets entering Week One. Maybe though, as
1: we've and all even if they are, you can't project them for twenty five or thirty percent of the targets. Look, uh, Alizard like is a nice player, but he's a complimentary player. Like when you look at his profile, you look at what he's done, and this is where the per route stuff really helps us. You know because we have these players that we know have never had a full-time role necessarily. And then you want to look at okay, well, but when they were on the field, like what were they able to do? And when you look at Alan Lazard, like it's it's a meh profile. We like him. He's gonna still get to play with Aaron Rodgers. Just don't go nuts. Like if his ADP stays within reason, because there's always a, a, a spot in the range of outcomes where a player completely surprises us and takes his game to a new level. But for the most part, someone at the stage they are in Alan Lazard's career just because there are more targets available doesn't mean we need to give them this huge bump. He might be able to pick up an additional 2 to 3% of the targets, but you're not going to see this big, huge jump most likely. For Lazard, Randall Cobb, same thing, where he's at at this point in his career. Amari Rogers also just didn't do anything as a rookie. Couldn't even really get on the field. So that's not really that encouraging. Late round stabs, yeah. I like Amari Rogers more outside of best ball. Like He's not a guy I really want to have that could just be a complete zero the whole year. Whereas if I get him in redraft, I see, does he earn some playing time? Does he not? And then I can make a reaction two or three weeks in. Hell, I'll make a reaction after week one. If the guy ain't out there for 50 or 60% of the routes, I can just cut him. Um so I those are some of the things I think about like between best ball and between redraft on some of these later round picks. I know we're taking swings, but man, you really want to avoid, you don't want a team that's got like three crazy, you know, swings on guys just based on potential, you know, opportunity this early in the season before the draft and you get complete zeros out of them.
0: So what is the most sure thing in the Green Bay offense? Maybe it's Aaron Jones. I was, uh, you know, if you guys have been playing fantasy football for any length of time, you guys probably know like the Aaron Jones receiving splits without Devontae Adams have been pretty big over the years. I just typed that into Twitter and Dwayne, you had a nice stat come up from Late October, I guess, when Devontae was set to miss time. Aaron Jones in six games without Devontae Adams, 2019 and 2020. 18% target share, 29 catches, 337 yards, four touchdowns. They used him a lot more at wide receiver. If you guys remember that Chiefs Sunday night game from a couple years ago, I believe Jones went for like 9, 158, and 2 with a lot of that coming out wide. It was like broke next gen stats database for like a running back lining up as a wide receiver and putting up big numbers. Also, shout out Wolf of Roto Street at Roto Street Wolf. Um, He's been on this podcast a couple of times where Aaron Jones' full season pace without Devontae Adams as a receiver. 87 catches, 942 yards, and 10 touchdowns. Notes that Jones has been basically Green Bay Kamara without Devontae Adams. He is getting older. We saw A.J. Dillon towards the end of the year. Jones was coming off injury, but make it really more of a 50-50 split. Dwayne, are we too low on Aaron Jones? Maybe this is the year we do see him release like a Green Bay album, Kamara.
1: Yeah, I think that's what you're going to need is him to really play that, you know, Kamara role. And I think it's in, look, I think it's in his wheelhouse. Like when you look at Aaron Jones, you look at what he's done, you look at his, you know, specifically, you know, his profile. Like it's, it shows that like he, he can be a sol- I mean, he can be an elite receiving back. And mm-hmm. so it's not just the fantasy points that we've seen come in these splits. Um, without Devontae Adams, but it's also really been what, what he's been able to do from a yards per route run. So for a running back, these are really good yards per route run of 1.24, 1.40, 1.55 That's uh, from 2021, 2020, 2019. You look at his targets per route run. He's at 22%, 24%, 20%. So he's shown that ability to get up towards that 25% mark, which is where you know really like the elites like Camara. That's where they live is in that range. So Mm -hmm. I think there's there's totally opportunity. Look at receiving grade: 82.8, 76.5, 72.5. Those are really top notch receiving grades for running backs as well. So I think the profile and what he's been able to do. Um, The underlying metrics, they match, right, what we've seen from a fantasy production standpoint when we haven't had Devontae Adams. So I think looking at Jones, like the big thing is we, AJ Dillon could probably take on even a little bit more of the rushing attempts. But to your point, the the path to value for Jones that we shouldn't ignore um, is that opportunity to really play more of a true receiving back Um, Role. The problem we've got to avoid is last year there were times where they were letting A.J. Dillon stay on the field, you know, towards the end of the season and some of those passing, you know, situations. And he's totally the opposite. He can catch the ball, but he's a check now guy. Like he's a behind the line of scrimmage negative A dot. Like, okay, God, like the first three reads were. Covered. Here you go, Dylan. Let me dump it to you. It's not like a first read. They'll give him some screens and things like that. um But I think that's the thing that we're going to have to figure out. But I, if you're wanting to look at what is what is a potential way where Aaron Jones could still be a top six back this season, I think you just named it. Now we know they're going to do something in the draft. You've already mentioned that. Just a reminder, everybody. When you look at the Packers, two picks in the first round, pick twenty-two from the Raiders, their own pick twenty-eight. Two picks in the second round, pick fifty-three from the Raiders, their pick fifty-nine. And they've got a third round pick of 92. So they're going to be able to do a lot with those five picks. You have to believe that probably two of those picks go towards weapons for Aaron Jones, for, for Aaron Rodgers. Please don't add to this backfield.
0: We can live with Jones and Dylan. <laughs> no, <go in>. Don't. <laughs> Please don't. That's what
1: the Packers do. are going to do. You know it. They're going to completely troll us and they're going to be like, yeah, we got to go ahead and get a third back.
0: We really thought we were just one more running back away from uh, (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah, that's going to be great.
0: Houston Texans, obviously Deshaun Watson, now a member of the Browns. Tyrod Taylor, now a member of the Giants, setting up Davis Mills' season. Uh, Kyle Allen is there to potentially uh, just completely waste away wide receivers if he gets the chance to be under center. And also, Jeff Driscoll's is getting another chance at quarterback. Apparently, the tight end plan uh, quickly failed. So keep an eye on that if you're just super into uh, the Houston Texans happenings under center. The running back room for whatever reason continues to consist of basically rex burkhead and a bunch of other jags royce freeman is back in town dari ogumbawale was you know the high profile sounding that they did bring from the jags speaking of uh but yeah you would really like to think that they bring someone in the draft or maybe they don't Dwayne, and maybe we once again see a legit four running back committee that we can just stay the hell away from outside of the one or two random spike weeks we get throughout the season so running backs looking like we can stay away we'll see what happens. Wide receiver, yeah, I mean, I I sent out a tweet at one point of, like, all the random wide receivers this team has signed over the last two years. They're just terrified of, like, doing anything to compete right now, and it's kind of hilarious if you, like, aren't a fan of the Texans. But Chris Conley's back. Chris Moore's back. I mean, Davian Davis is back. Once again, it's looking like Brandon Cooks and Nico Collins should be in two wide receiver sets. Again, you would like to think they would add someone high round, but they really didn't last year with the exception of Nico this Tight totally end. feels yeah.
1: like this totally like when you listen to this, you know, I feel like we're like filming, you know, the first version of Major League, you know, we're like all the fans <laughs> are sitting there and they're reading the roster and they're like, who are these guys? This like,
0: guy's been dead. <laughs> <laughs> tight end <laughs> pharaoh brown's back anthony Auclair's back jordan Aiken's still a free agent it's not i mean it's you can see it from brevin jordan but we're taking a leap of faith here like he what he was forced to be in a committee or even work behind these guys last year i think there are a lot better late round tight ends you can feel uh better about than brevin jordan to be honest maybe i'll be wrong but the guy's still only 22 i believe uh years old it's just uh this isn't the offense we want to be messing the 19% with 19
1: percent target per route run is pretty solid like that. that's more than yeah ever done like in his life but I mean and the yards per route run 1.19 but uh, you know being on an offense as bad as they are on like you know Dawson Knox has the same kind of yards per route run it's actually lower than that And he's on an elite offense. Whereas when you look at a guy like Revin Jordan on a bad offense, it's probably attached to some of that number is attached to the offense. But then you step back and go, okay, well, great. How's this offense really going to be better this year? Yeah. I don't know. Great question. Like I can't necessarily answer that. So I'm with you. Not a guy to get overly excited about going off the board right now and underdog is a tight end 25, but I think, What you're looking for is, like, what could be a young piece on the offense that could spark it? Because you're just not going to draft these other older guys. Yeah. Like, nobody's going to want to. So I think when people look at Houston, naturally, where does your eye go? It goes to, well, maybe there's this one shiny diamond in the rough. Well, it's going to go to Brevin Jordan um, outside of looking, you know, at Brandon Cooks being a volume player.
0: Played 60% snaps in just one of his nine games. Yeah. He's your last round pick as like your third or fourth tight end. Okay, but I mean, you know, we're really getting to the weeds there to try to rationalize it. Yeah, I mean – Brandon Cooks, once again, Dwayne, is just shaping up as the one guy that we're going to be forced to take a nice long look at. Where do you have him ranked uh, right now? I believe I actually was kind of squeezing him into that upside wide receiver three range. Yeah, I got Brandon Cooks, wide receiver 27. I think him and Darnell Mooney can essentially be looked at as the same guy. I give Cooks the slight benefit of the doubt. And, hey, I mean, Davis Mills did show he can put up, you know, hey, unlike Zach Wilson, unlike Trevor, uh, Trevor Lawrence, Davis Mills showed he can put up some. Them, you know big ish numbers uh even in the course of the texans losing a lot of games so brandon cooks man every single year he's being priced as like a low end wide receiver three wide receiver four and he keeps on keeping on why should we think 2022 will be any different
1: yeah i've got him at uh 32 so i mean yeah. we're, we're pretty close to each yeah. other I also think, right know- next
0: to mooney nice <laughs>
1: Like if he lived and if he, if he lived as like the elite number one on an offense with a quarterback that we felt a lot better about and an overall better offense, like he would be in the wide receiver twos. like yeah. his situation playing on the Texans um, is really, you know, what gives us the most concern. But to your point, like there were some flashes with Davis Mills towards the end of the season, you know, he played early, wasn't that great, got benched, Tyrod Taylor played a little bit. Then you got to see Mills a little bit at the end of the season again, and he did a few things. So we'll see what happens with Mills. But I think, um, any way you cut it, like it's hard. You can't, you can't not have Brandon Cooks like in your wide receiver threes. Like he's at least got to be there. And if, if Mills took a step forward, that would be the path for Brandon Cooks to all of a sudden be like, Hey, look at me, guys, uh, wide receiver 15. Like that could happen
0: thousand plus yards in six of the last seven years as a rookie he didn't get it only because he got hurt only played 10 games 2019 Jared Goff was doing some Jared Goff things always got to worry about the concussion history but man the dude's played 14 plus games dating back to every single season other than his rookie year in 2014 so kudos to Brandon Cooks still only 28 years old too man like this dude has just been around balling wouldn't be surprised if he continues to do so Next up, we got the Indianapolis Colts. They did make a fairly major quarterback change. Obviously, Matt Ryan now under center. Carson Wentz now a member of the Washington Commanders. At wide receiver, Zach Pascal out of the picture. He signed with the Philadelphia Eagles. T.Y. Hilton still an unrestricted free agent. He kind of did like his farewell to Indianapolis. I don't think he's coming back. Uh, We did get Ashton Doolin back. Maybe just maybe Paris Campbell stays healthy. I do like Paris, again, at the very bottom of drafts because. He's just someone you're going to see in like the wide receiver 70, 80 range. And all of a sudden, if he is, you know, healthy for once and starting in week one, he could get there. Everyone's looking for a next Debo Samuel. Paris Campbell was probably the cheapest person that, you know, after I give you a joint and six beers, you probably could somewhat wrap your mind around. Uh, either way, man, I do think it's all good news. For Michael Pittman and the fact that we now have Matt Ryan under center so maybe they go out and out of Julio maybe they draft someone high if not Dwayne Michael Pittman's starting to check a lot of these boxes that we look for in a third year breakout wide receiver I thought he took a nice step forward in year two from year one where he was more of just this kind of bigger yak receiver but man some of the plays he made last year you know jumping over the Ravens dude on a severely underthrown ball by Wentz like he flashed and it wasn't like he was busting on big target totals he was just unfortunately getting game scripted out of a lot of uh you know matchups so i think michael Pittman is a reasonable has a reasonable case as the you know year three breakout wide receiver just hasn't quite taken that final step um we do have mo alley cox back to maybe be a number two we can talk about tight end in a second but overall thoughts on michael Pittman, dwayne because again if he's going in there as a wide receiver two wide receiver three i truly believe he has in his range of outcomes a wide receiver one season in him
1: yeah look I like the move to Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, you know, like, I think just gives you an accuracy, an overall accuracy upgrade, like, versus what we saw with Wentz. Wentz can be real hit or miss. He's like one of these hot or cold quarterbacks. And I'm not saying Matt Ryan's still where he was at, you know, multiple years ago um, as far as where his accuracy goes. But, like, if you look at, like, you guys can go check out the PFF quarterback annual. And for each quarterback, there is an accuracy uh, charting um, shot. That's really cool. It basically shows you how often – does the quarterback really put it right on the receiver, like kind of pinpoint accuracy is what we call it accurate, meaning like, Hey, boom, right there within the frame, they're running across the field. It's a perfect throw, keeps them moving. Um, it gets rid of plays where like a defender's in the front. You got to throw it behind. Like that's actually great as accurate. So all those factors are taken in and then you have the uncatchable uh, pass rate. And so when you just go in, you guys can compare it for yourself. But when you go look at Matt Ryan, versus um Carson Wentz so I, I like that and to your point Ian, like on Pittman like he doesn't necessarily profile someone like we think would just be like this elite you know receiver but like really doing some good things like I would say it's still within his range of outcomes um I definitely I have him inside you know my top 24 I believe on, like, I got
0: 15 I wasn't even drunk man
1: <laughs> yeah well That's I mean look, nice. I'm at 20 I'm at 23 I'm at 23. So, I mean, his PFF receiving grade last year, 79.9 yards per route run, 1.95, despite some of the issues um, with the quarterback play, targets per route run, 22%. Um, So, yeah, I mean, overall target share for the team, though, 26%. You know, so he clearly led the team. So, I think he is a guy, like, it's in his range of outcomes, Ian, that we could see a 30% target share. And just like what we talk about with Jonathan Taylor, where he really had game scripts work in his favor, the game scripts really worked against Michael Pittman last year. Exactly. And so, I mean, I had put out some tweets at the end of the year, like, hey, guys, just remember, like in an alternate simulation, Michael Pittman is a, mid, a mid-tier a mid wide receiver, too, like with wide receiver one upside. And so I think, you know, where you've got him, I think that's reasonable. Um, look, looking at the fact that, you know, this is a player that's only going to be 25 years old, going to be in his third season, doing what he did. Last year, the Colts haven't made any big moves as far as really giving him any competition. We just need the game script. We need we need the Colts to be in a little bit more competitive situations. I think if you take that and you add the small upgrade you get with Matt Ryan, I like it for Pittman. I think those same
0: points also go hand-in-hand with hand, Naeem Hines, maybe giving you some value in full PPR. Uh, being usually outside the top 50 backs. Again, if things don't go as smoothly as last year, maybe they do. The defense is still very good. Obviously, Matt Ryan should be an upgrade over Wentz. Uh, Just keep an eye. Keep in mind, Naim Hines would be a big beneficiary of that. They locked him down before last season started. Coaching staff loves him. He's great. Like, the freaking end zone dances that guy can do are absolutely bananas. I mean, just, you know, tightly wound electric ball of athleticism. Uh, Mo Alley-Cox is back, and Jack Doyle retired. Dwayne, this feels to me a little bit like a Dave Njoku trap, though, because I think Colin Granson is just going to, probably have his role increase. Maybe they sign another tight end and continue to use three of them in there. So love Mo'Ally Cox. The guy is ginormous, ex-basketball player, checks all those boxes, that fantasy analysts get a hard-on about. I just, you know, (laughs) not totally convinced he's going to have all the volume. Dwayne, I think I saw you had Mo'Ally Cox like tight end 30, maybe a little low, but it's you. you Yeah, look,
1: again, like a lot of these still have to be tightened, um, especially towards the bottoms of my ranks. Sure, You know, I I haven't gotten to where I feel like super you know, firm around them he's, and that's he's, the first, he's not gonna be a projection process helps a lot with like more of these you know iffy guys but yeah i look he belongs in a tier of guys that you should say they're gonna get more opportunity like that's where mo alley cox belongs and so i mean if you look at him um let me pull him up just real quick i know we probably need to move on to the next team but i got some data here i can pull up on cox so like looking at him um Targets per route run, like the underlines are pretty good. I mean, 24%, 13%, that's not a good year, but 19% and 17%. He has two years where his yards per route run are over a two. So there's some things with Mo Cox that you're, that would make you think with more opportunity. I definitely have him too low, like just looking at these, you know, um, there is opportunity that he could take that step forward. There's also the fact that what you just talked about, this team loves to really rotate tight ends. Now there's also a great possibility that, you know, um, he really is just the best one on the team now, and they don't have enough guys that they really want to rotate that much anymore. So I think Moly Cox is still, I think he's a player that I don't mind taking the swing on late in best fall, because one, I don't think his situation is going to get much worse through the draft. There's not a lot of good tight ends in the draft, mm-hmm. right? Um, number two, even if they add another weapon in the draft, you know, Mo Cox, you know, has shown these flashes of being able to do these things and now he's going to have more opportunity. So I think he's a nice late round add and in redraft, what's nice is again, like you see a couple of weeks. And if they're still using a rotation, you just dump it. You're just like, okay, whatever. But if it comes out and all of a sudden we're like, you and I are doing our first episode, you know, Sunday night football's on and we're recording <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit, Ian, 75% routes run for Mo Cox. Like we're going to be excited. Like we'll be excited about that. Because he has flashed in the past. And so, like, again, like not to completely pick on Dawson Knox, Dawson <laughs> Knox has never flashed any of these things. He's literally just scooping up exhaust fumes from the Bills offense and it's carrying him along. He's never shown that could he just could he live on his own if he wasn't in an offense that threw the ball so much and had a great quarterback. No, Mo'Ally Cox has at least flashed that. And so I think that makes him worth a late-round pick. Real quick on Wentz. So I knew this was here and I was trying to pull up on the fly when I was talking about Matt Ryan, Um, but catchable inaccurate passes, meaning like, look, the receiver could get it, but they had to stop make an adjustment to catch the ball, right? 27th and a higher is worse, right? And so this is out of 32 quarterbacks for Wentz. (laughs) Uncatchable pass rate, meaning... Receiver had no chance, could have had a ladder, you know, could have had, you know, a jet pack, didn't matter. Couldn't have caught it. 26 out of 32. So that's the issue I'm talking about that Wentz uh, brought to the table that you're not going to get with Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan is much more in line with just the league averages on those types of plays. Um, and really what you're looking for, you just want to avoid the bad extremes of quarterbacks that do these things. And so for Wentz, this has been something that's been in, in the past as well. And his accurate plus rate is 23 out of 32. Um, And then if you look at his accurate, uh, just overall accurate rate, meaning, hey, basically got it right on the receiver when they needed to get it. And it's also low. He's 27 out of 32. So it's a situation where Carson Wentz was just not from an accuracy standpoint, was not really good across the board. I know he does push the ball down the field more, which we'll talk about, you know, the commanders in a minute and what that may mean for McLaurin. But overall, I think this is an upgrade at quarterback for Pittman and the quality of targets that he's going to see the head-scratching team
0: of free agency. The Jacksonville Jaguars up next. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence still getting more than a few more chances to improve upon that, yeah objectively disastrous 2021 campaign, but Urban Meyer's out of the picture, no longer kicking kickers, doing any number of other things that have been reported. By the way, I don't buy that Urban Meyer didn't know who Aaron Donald was. I think right now you could release any article about anything about Urban Meyer and people would just be so ready to jump on it and throw him under the bus. Not saying he hasn't, you know, walked himself into those uh,
1: situations. And did you know, he jokes sometimes who's this 99 guy? Like just and coaches. That's the way they talk. They talk in terms of numbers. They don't talk about the players' names like, man, this 45 guy, this, you know, whatever Ian's number was, like this middle linebacker, like, we got to watch out for him. Um, Like, that's the way they talk. They don't know. I mean, they know the names, but they just they talk in terms of numbers. And so it's like not that surprising, you know, to me, like to hear that.
0: Like, I I think we understand that it was arguably the worst, like, coaching campaign we've seen (laughs) Like the horse has been dead for months though, everyone. Like we don't need to keep having a new like breakthrough story on it, like every two weeks. So with that off my chest, running back, this is where it's interesting. Dwayne, again, I I love kind of going through the process of rankings because I think it makes you start to look at situations just more objectively and, uh, Are we positive James Robinson is going to play football next year? Because he's being treated seemingly as a top 40 back. He just tore his Achilles in December, man. It's really cool that Cam Akers came back as quick as he did. Uh, I don't think that should necessarily be the baseline these days. And let's face it, Cam Akers and Marlon Mack both came back and were both objectively bad. Now, I know Akers had the tough run defenses and everything. pick any stat though he was terrible same thing really with marlon mack i would think in year two they'll be back more now shout out dr jesse morse got in my mentions he does not expect james robinson to play football next year if we think there's even a chance james robinson is going to be on that acres trajectory where hey maybe he's coming back more so in the second half Dwayne's dog's with me here if if robinson is coming back later in the season man Travis Etienne, all of a sudden, is being priced basically where he was last year. And now, more than ever, he's looking like a three-down back. We don't have to deal with Urban. We probably we don't have to deal with Carlos Hyde, thank God. And we seemingly might have to deal with James Robinson. Travis Etienne, Dwayne, and full PPR, maybe he's the key that unlocks a fantasy football championship. That was yeah, a
1: good line I- right yeah, I I would be draft I would be drafting Etn right now. I think this news is going to get uh, stronger and stronger, and he's going to continue to move up boards. I um, mean, the Jaguars aren't going to spend a pick, an early pick on the backfield, RB sixteen,
0: Dwayne.
1: Yeah, I've got him up. Uh, where do I have him right now? I have. Hang on, let me pull it back over here. I was looking at something else. Get yeah, over. so I've got Etn nineteen right now. So oh, yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. I think he's going to continue to to probably move up even a little bit more from there. I could see him getting. I, I don't think he'd get into the top twelve. I mean, look, if James Robinson, if 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 the news sounds really solid, like he's not going to play, there, ETN could push into the top twelve. Look, and yeah. here's the thing we love about ETN. I, I know like a lot of the um, you know film folks and that I respect a lot. Like, there's a lot of them that don't really like ETN. You know, uh, I'm talking the true grinders, the ones that go in and really watch it. Most they're fantasy not, analysts, not, let's the, be honest, the, are the, watching the, the Matt Walden's of the world. Yeah. Yeah. You know. A lot of the fantasy analysts, let's be honest, they're watching highlights. and <laughs> you, just, you see them repost the same highlights. Look at this long, explosive play. But the things that I think sometimes there's a disconnect. Right. And what I really care is what does the NFL value? And I don't think I don't think NFL teams, honestly, like when I like see the work from a guy like Jay Moyer, I think he probably knows more about running backs than a lot of coaches in the NFL. Like, like, and how much he's taught me just from a freaking Twitter feed. Like, he's taught me about the way running backs operate and like what they need to do as far as understanding, you know, vision and reading the blocks and how you set things up. All those sort of things. But at the end of the day, what matters is the NFL cares where they've invested their draft capital, and they overvalue a lot of these athletic traits. But, you know, so it's, an, it's it's not a perfect, you know, system that's in place for figuring out which running backs are the best and who should be playing. But at the end of the day, like, those are the guys that get on the field. And the things I do like about ETN is he's got an explosive, uh, his explosive play rate in college was really high. And so we like that. And he has a receiving profile. Yeah. So those two things together in a PPR format. Um, and we saw it last year. You know, uh, Jay will tell you, like, you know, DeAndre Swift's not a great running back. But guess what? The team kept him on the field when it mattered in a PPR league. He was out there to catch passes. And even though he sucked a lot at the time, like he came through with these explosive plays. We just talked about Swift a minute ago. I think ETN profiles very similarly. So even if he's not going to be perfect, you know, in a vacuum, as far as the decisions he's going to make on the field, one, the coaches are going to put him out there. Two, he still can be good enough, you know, to give you the explosive plays to overcome the bad ones. And then three, man, look, in PPR, like, You've mentioned it many times, like how much more a target is worth than a rushing attempt. You're printing money if yeah. you're going to have a back that's going to be out there uh, on all the passing down. And at this moment, like even if James Robinson comes back, my guess is ETN, no matter what, is going to get the two minute work, probably going to get all the long down and distance work and then get up to 40 to 50 percent of the rushing work. So even yeah. if James Robinson came back, I don't like where you're drafting ETN right now is fine. I would still be okay with drafting ETN at where he's going right now as far as ADP, which on underdog is 53 overall. It is RB19, right, where I have him ranked. But I'm, I'm starting to lean with you. I need to figure – I'm going to have to move ETN up a little bit because I do think people should be more aggressive on him right now drafting because I think yeah. his ADP is going to rise.
0: Yes, Urban's gone, but the GM that pulled the trigger and took him in the first round is back. I'm completely out on James Robinson where he's going. Just don't take someone as a top 40 running back that you think might not feasibly play a single snap next season. Just incredible, you know, fancy analysis there from myself. So wide receiver room quickly. You know, we kind of went through this a lot throughout free agency. We don't really know and we don't have – this is not like Denver – where we don't know. So that makes all these guys values. Like this could be more like the 2021, you know, New York Giants, where we don't really know and no one's worth chasing because there's not much of a ceiling there in the first place. You would think three wide receiver sets could be Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, and Marvin Jones, you know, new trade rumor for LaVisca Chenault seemingly every day going on. We also got Laquan Trebwell back in action, back in action. Evan Ingram is there now, um, not completely you know, drinking the Kool-Aid on him just all of a sudden morphing into Travis Kelsey or Zach Ertz just because his head coach is Doug Peterson. But hey, if if Ingram is going to be there as like a tight end 18 or something like that, yeah, sure. I I can talk myself into a dart at that price. Uh, Just be careful about him getting into the top 12. Anything you want to talk about on these uh, receivers and tight ends, Dwayne?
1: No, look, there's just a lot of them. Uh, (laughs) And I think um, the biggest question just remains Trevor Lawrence, right? Like what's going to happen? Like if you look at Trevor Lawrence – um, you know, last season and, and how he performed like it was really even with the weapons he had like, look, big time throws 23 out of 32 on target passes twenty seventh out of 32. Uh, positive grade rate, 28th out of 30, 32. Uh, grade from a clean pocket, which is usually stable year over year, 28th of 32. That's concerning. Turnover worthy plays, 22 of 32. Higher being worse in that case.
0: Bad, bad.
1: Yeah, you know, third downgrade, right around average, negative play grade though. 20, so your positive play grade is 28 out of 32, and your negative uh, grade is 28 out of 32 with a higher number being worse and then grade under pressure, 25 out of 32. So there's like, there's nothing to hang your hat on. Now he's a first year quarterback. So if, if you're a believer in the profile for Lawrence, if you're a believer that he's going to take a step forward, then you can probably have some confidence in trying to figure out which parts of this Jacksonville offense could potentially give you some value based on ADP. But I think my approach with Jacksonville will be most likely Ian. Whichever ones are the cheapest. And then that way, if Trevor Lawrence does come through, like, look, if Trevor Lawrence comes through, are we so sure Christian Kirk's really going to outscore Marvin Jones? I no. think we will probably end up being close, you know? So, I mean, Marvin Jones was actually, you know, on under pressure, was his favorite target versus the Blitz, his favorite target last year, and in the red zone, his favorite target last year. So. I don't think all of a sudden Christian Kirk's going to take over all those things. We like Christian Kirk. He's a younger player, but the ADP difference is going to be right now uh, you're talking wide receiver 48 for Christian Kirk versus, and that's before that, that's not fully baking in right. That he could be the wide receiver one in Jacksonville versus Marvin Jones. You get at wide receiver 70 who already showed us last year was the favorite target of, of Trevor Lawrence. So I think there's an argument you can make. I know. Marvin Marvin Jones will be 33 this year, but there's an argument you could make that at the discount in ADP, if Trevor Lawrence all of a sudden turns everything around, like, I think Marvin Jones is probably going to be close to Christian Kirk, like, and how they're going to finish and you can get him way later. So that's probably my approach.
0: I'm fine chasing the money to figure out who's going to be starting. Like, this is why we're not (laughs) confident in Isaiah McKenzie being on the field. A bunch in Buffalo. In terms of pecking okay. order, though, who the quarterback's gonna throw the ball to, I'm not so sure it makes a difference when they're out there just playing on the field. Like, look at the Patriots last year, man. They paid who Henry Aguilar and Bourne. Jacoby Myers ends up working as the number one more weeks than not. Like Aguilar was the highest paid wide receiver. He worked as like the number four pass game option. So yeah, he was out there over Nikhil Harry and other guys. We should have been able to deduce that based on the contract. Once he's actually on the field, those where things can get different. It's like a quick break get to some advertisements from our lovely sponsors and oh my gosh it's not even a sponsor it's my employer PFF you can get 25% off any PFF subscription if you just use code Fantasy. all of our locked article content NFL draft guy completely unlocked mock draft simulator 2022 free agent rankings data and grace from the entire 2021 season all that and so much more definitely going to be having our ranks live on that site for all you best ball fanatics out there as early as next week so keep an eye out for that support the pod and use promo code fantasy for 25% off any sub. Also, shout out to Manscaped. Can I get a round of applause, everyone? Today, I'm excited to announce Manscaped launched their ultra premium collection. Believe it or not, it's for your not-so-private parts. I'll talk about a leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all-in-one skin and hair care kit for the everyday man and covers you from head to toe. Literally, Manscaped is trusted below the waist. Now, trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF. Again, 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. The power of attraction is now in a bottle, thanks to Manscape. Dwayne, we're like halfway through. Maybe we'll speed it up a little bit here. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs are going to be our next squad. Obviously, you know, we spent basically— We hit them
1: pretty good yesterday, so yeah, I think we get this one pretty fast
0: talk 30 minutes about the offense. So Tyreek, Juju, you know, Kelsey, it's not as, we, we basically deduce, it's not as big of a positive for Kelsey, sell the man in dynasty for the love of God, um, as I think people are making it out to be. If you still want to rank him tight end one, not going to disagree there. But again, our general strategy this year, at least as far as right now is concerned, uh, is that those top five tight ends were largely going to be fading anyway. So let's just look a little bit at running back, Dwayne, because there has been some rumors about Ronald Jones uh, entering this situation. If they go ahead and add Ronald Jones, is that going to be enough for you to really just be like, oh my God, Clyde, get out of my top 24? Or would you still be confident enough in him uh, maybe taking a step forward? Because let's face it, Clyde, we need the targets. So from that from that situation, man, I would rather have Ronald Jones there than them bring back Jared McKinnon or Daryl Williams.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. Edward Scissorhands is not going on the field. <laughs> like, during passing downs, Ronald Jones is terrible um and and that's not just you know oh my god just piling on like go watch ronald jones like it's it's, bad. it's really bad and i, I always, always use the one great. example
0: he caught a touchdown the ruled it a drop and he just flipped <laughs> he just the said, ball okay. and like, "Yep, you're probably right
1: <laughs> oh my god yeah so like edwards allaire i already said i've already said get out of my top 24 he's not in there like he's in he's 28 really? for me right now um here look Daryl Williams is, should he be a threat to Clyde Edwards-Alaire, a first round pick? No. Jarrett McKinnon, should he be a threat to a first round pick, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, at this point in Jarek McKinnon's career? No. I've seen enough. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is not taking over this backfield. It's He's not. He can't – Derek Gore could take snaps from Clyde edwards you know, And is that to say it's all on Edwards-Alaire? I don't know. He's also been injured. You know, you've got a coaching staff. But look – you. When you look at Andy Reid, like we've seen him take these backs like Brian Westbrook, you know, uh, even Deuce Staley back in the day and give them this full role. Get them super involved in the passing game. Did it, you know, with Kareem Hunt. You know, so Jamal Charles, we've got all these examples of Andy Reid, you know, feeding backs and he doesn't want to feed Clyde Edwards-Alaire. That tells me really all I need to know. I'm out on Edwards-Alaire. I just don't really... Your reason would be, hey, you got this great elite offense. We just lost, lost tree Hill. What's that? Tyreek Hill. What's that going to do? You know, how what's the upside of the Chiefs' offense now versus what it was before? I think it's definitely taken a hit. So for me, with Edwards Alaire, man, he's just it's and, and all the underlines. I just don't like him. And like his yards after contact aren't good. His missed tackles, force per attempt, meh. His explosive rate is terrible. He's not explosive. Um, so, and remember explosive carries is only 10 yards. It's not like you got to get a 50 yarder to the house. You just, it's the ability to produce 10 yard carries on a consistent basis. He's not done that. So he just, he just doesn't check any box. And in even if we take his per route run metrics, not great, 13% targets per route run, where's Alvin Kamara and the guys that we would want like to think about. And the old Brian Westbrook, those numbers are 25%. 23 percent, 27 percent in that range. Edwards Laird's never done it. Yards per route run, 0. 0.73. Give me a break. Like, I just I don't I can't find anything to buy into.
0: Yeah. And just, you know, in the offseason, we got to be, be awfully careful about some of these uh, new sites. And I do appreciate the work NBC Sports Edge, formerly known as Roto-Roll does. But, you know, when they say, uh, where was the Clyde tweet? Yeah. When they tweet Hillis Casey offense could feature more RB screens. uh, Just realize that's an athletic beat reporter. Just, you know, putting two and two together and saying without Tyreek Hill, they might need to throw the ball more underneath. This is not like Andy Reid saying, yeah, we're going to throw more screens to Clyde Ebersolaire. Also outside my top 24 backs at the moment. Dwayne. Another running back that we both have outside our top 24, maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, controversial here, will be Josh Jacobs as a member of the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Once again, I've spent, you know, plenty of time, I think, already on the passing game. Long story short, Devontae Adams remains a top five fantasy receiver. Hunter Renfro now more so in that lower end wide receiver three range. Who knows who Brian Evers even is anymore uh, with Darren Waller out there. Yeah, it's okay, but now we have more questions than ever because Lord knows he's not going to be the number one pass game off. Option, I'll be happy to let someone draft him if he's going again, still in that top five. The big question here, and we're cool with Derek Carr, he's not going to run, but he's right there, you know, in that Kirk Cousins uh, kind of tier. If you can't get a top 12 quarterback, he's not going to kill you, and he can give you some legit QB1 weeks. With Henry Ruggs last year, Derek Carr was absolutely crushing it, and I mean, really was uh, pacing the same as Dak Prescott, considering Dak wasn't running. The question here, Dwayne, is Josh Jacobs? Now, we, uh, you know, as we were going through every signing throughout free agency, We brought up how Brandon Bolden getting signed to the Raiders. There's only two teams in the NFL we might care about him going to. The Patriots, who just used him as their pass down back, and the Raiders, who now employ his old offensive coordinator as their head coach. So I would think Brandon Bolden will be primary special teams, but they also added Amir Abdullah, who could all of a sudden be the pass down back. Kenyon Drake is still there. Why should we have any confidence that Josh McDaniels is going to feature Josh Jacobs to the biggest workload of his career? I have none. And I think, yeah, he'll lead in total touches, particularly on the ground. We don't really care as much about those. We want those targets. I don't think he's getting many of them, even if he is good enough to do it.
1: Yeah. And look, Josh Jacobs, like, actually, he's not a bad player. You know, I know. I mean, he's a former first round pick, 25 years old this season. So a lot of things to like um about josh jacobs um but looking at the former coordinator looking at the signings they've made and look a lot of teams if they signed amir Abdullah, we we might not even care but knowing what this coordinator likes to do and the fact that i believe Jalen richard's available um you know so for me, with Jacobs, like looking at him like his, you know, his rushing grade and all these other things, that are fine. His PFF receiving grade is not terrible, like compared to other running backs, but it's not good either. Um, actually been good in pass blocking, which we've seen him stay on the field some and long down a distance where you know that you're just not going to throw it to your running back, right? you got to throw it down the field. So, I mean, he's had some positive things, but overall, I think we're just at the point, you know, where looking at the coach and the match and what we've seen from Jacobs so far, And looking at just the structure of the offense, you got Josh Jacobs, you got Kenyon Drake, you got Amir Abdullah, even if you don't count Brandon Bolden, like there's Drake and Abdullah like are both better in the passing game than, you know, what you're going to get from Josh Jacobs. So I think that's just the situation that we're in right now. Um, And last year we did have a little stretch run where Josh Jacobs saw that every down treatment, but it's because Kenyon Drake and Jalen Rashard were both.
0: It was exactly what happened with Antonio Gibson. And some people Mm -hmm. are forgetting the JD McKissick thing with Gibson as well. So yeah, Abdullah, look, when he was in Carolina, like, okay, he wasn't going to take away from McCaffrey. And when he was in Minnesota, he wasn't taking away from Dalvin. He did take away from Madison and Chuba and look like, McDaniels he can say he likes Jacobs all he wants he's been a committee offensive coordinator for the overwhelming duration of his Patriots tenure I believe only Ridley and Blunt uh, got anywhere close to 300 touches over the past decade or so so yeah guys if he wasn't going to give his own first round running back Sony Michaud a true three down workload why would he give it to Josh Jacobs I will not be making that bet. After the Raiders, we have the Los Angeles Chargers. Not too much has changed here. We're still expecting Justin Herbert to be the freaking man. Keenan Allen, you know, if you want to put him as a wide receiver one, go for it. If you, I think you'd be hard pressed to rank him worse than an upside wide receiver two. Mike Williams is interesting. Dwayne, I mean, look, he finished as I, what, I think he was the wide receiver seventeen in a PPR points per game, and you know, everyone say, oh yeah, but take away his good games, and you know, he was only bad, and it's like, no, we can't do that. This, he's one of the few receivers in the league with weekly 100-yard two-touchdown upside. So that should be worth something, particularly uh, in a format like best ball where we don't have to worry as much about the duds. Uh, So Mike Williams, I think, is someone that, again, is just one of those better-in-best ball types to keep an eye on. After that though, going to be tough to get another wide receiver too involved because Josh Palmer, Jalen Guyton should be splitting things. Obviously, Austin Eckler, anyone's idea of a top-three running back, especially full PPR. Need to figure out a little bit what's going on behind him. Justin Jackson's still an unrestricted free agent. Our guest would probably be a committee of sorts, you know, between Kelly and their other guys if Jackson doesn't resign. And yeah, I guess the one big takeaway is I don't think we can really go after uh, this tight end room. Jared Cook is gone, but Gerald Everett is back looking like he'll be set to split things up with Donald Parham. Maybe they even bring back Steven Anderson as well. They're going to have at least two tight ends there. Just historically, man, I don't want to mess with it. Mike, Keenan and Eckler are going to be their big three. Why, why should we go out of our way to get number four?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think if you want to take Everett late in a draft, it's fine. You know, as an athletic profile receiver, I mean, you can go for, I mean, tight end, like you can go for it, but we got to see him already last year and, and he did okay. Like he was okay um, last year with Ross as he, as you know, whenever he was healthy, but I'm with you. It's really just more about Keenan Allen's the one. You know, Eckler, you know, is the two and Mike Williams is the three. Like that's the order I would put it in as far as the way the targets are probably going to shake out. You know, could Mike Williams take a step ahead of like Eckler? Yeah, I think that's in the range of outcomes. He had a career high 21 percent targets per route run last season, a career high 1.97 yards per route run. If you look at him, though, um, even his adjusted target share, which only missed one, he only missed one game last year, but it's uh, right at 18 percent. So, still, like he's never, Mike Williams has never put up like this. You know, he's never even hit 20% target share, you know, in his career. And that's the one thing that concerns me. I love the quarterback he's playing with, I love the offense that he's on. But we also have a defense that's going to be pretty badass (laughs) for the Chargers next year. Um, I mean, the things they've done um, to really position that defense, um, man, like, golly, adding J.C. Jackson um added, they added a defensive lineman you know from the Rams you added Khalil Mack to help add pressure with Bosa uh, just like and, and man, get Derwin James you know for a full healthy season they drafted Asante Samuel Jr you know the year before like they they just got a lot of things positive momentum um going for them you know also with a great moment on the defensive side of the ball with Staley so I I think that could impact um, what the Chargers need to do on offense a little bit, a little bit as well. So um, with Williams, he's a guy I'm kind of, you know, I know we'll come back to him next week when we talk ranks, but he's a player that I'm probably going to think about a lot this weekend as I work my way back through some of these things. And some of these offenses that are more like set, I'm going to go ahead and do my projections for. So like the Chargers are a team, I think you can basically project their offense right now. Probably not going to get anything changed in the draft. And so looking at Williams, like, I don't know. You can tell me where you have him. I have him at 25 right now. Um, I think he has the upside. 24. There we go. Okay, Yeah. So we're close, but there's still some red flags. He's never shown this dominant profile. Um, But again, like you have that early part of the season last year that gets me. um, And his ADOT definitely came down. So I think there is a chance he becomes more involved and he got injured. So that's the other thing I'm accounting for last year. He got hurt really was not the same after that. So, that's what's keeping him closer to the wide receiver two conversation for me. I do think there, the his range of outcomes as he finishes in the bottom end, right. Of the wide receiver three tier as well.
0: Yeah. Wide receiver 28 right now, ADP on underdog obviously got that 20 million per year deal. Hey, Mike Williams, man, just had 1,100 yards and nine touchdowns. And it wasn't the easiest ones. Uh, you know, he had the big week 18 game, which, uh, you know, the, the Tyler Lockett special, basically, uh, in fantasy <laughs> and football land. But uh, yeah, just keep in mind, I mean, it is Justin Herbert's number, likely number two pass game option at the end of the day. You can do a lot worse than having that guy on the fantasy squad. Los Angeles Rams, Matt Stafford, nice little extension to be the Rams' long-term quarterback, as if he wasn't going to be, obviously, after that fantastic playoff run. Running back, still the Cam Akers show. Sonny Michelle remains an unrestricted free agent. We do still have Daryl Henderson there. And let's not forget, Henderson was out for that playoff run until the Super Bowl, when he actually did come in and all of a sudden play. You know, I believe 30% of the snaps actually got a lot of work as a receiver, uh, while Akers wasn't really getting the ball quite as much there. Tight end should still be Tyler Higby. Now, a wide receiver, this is where things get a little more interesting. Cooper Cup, obviously, still locked in as the, you know, probably most fed receiver in the entire NFL. Behind him, though, it is now. Strictly, Allen Robinson as the wide receiver, two, at Robert Woods being shipped off to the Titans. And OBJ, man, it's like we've heard from the beginning the Rams want to bring him back, but here he is still sitting as an unrestricted free agent. And all of a sudden, we're starting to hear, you know, see all the photoshops of him in the Chiefs and Packers uniform, all that heating up as well. So let's say OBJ isn't back or his recovery leaves him sidelined for, you know, a good chunk of the season, Dwayne. What are we making of Allen Robinson? Because, again, can't overstate how much of a better QB situation this is for him. Then again, he is 29. And let's face it, he was bad last year. I see the target totals, and I see, you know, the Bears not exactly helping him. Matt Nagy sure wasn't calling, you know, the best plays in the league or anything. But Allen Robinson, man, staffers number two. We saw what, you know, a change of scenery did for OBJ. Why can't the same thing happen for A-Rob?
1: Yeah, I, I like Allen Robinson now with Robert Woods moving on. You know, so, I mean, I think when you look and I don't know where his ADP is going to settle in, obviously wherever it's at now, it's going to change um, versus versus where it will be. But I mean, the encouraging thing is like, you know, targets, you know, is adjusted, Target share over the years: twenty-two percent, twenty-three percent, twenty-three percent, twenty-three percent, twenty-six percent, twenty-four percent. Last year, it went to sixteen percent. Actually, that's probably wrong. It's probably still dividing by sixteen games instead of seventeen, so it's going to be a little bit different than that. But still, like I think that you know, the the thing for me is like, do you really? What you have to think of with Robinson, you know, is do you think that he truly just hit a cliff, or do you think he was playing with injuries? Um, maybe also a little bit of, you know, I'm just sick of this stuff with the Bears. And you think yeah. there's a recharge to like his energy um, and just really his approach to the game coming back and now getting to play for a chance, you know, in the NFC right now that's wide open, potentially for another to go to the Super Bowl, get to play with the best quarterback of your career. I'm kind of leaning into, I like what I'm thinking about, Allen Robinson. And yeah. so I don't have him inside my top 24, but I have him at 26. So, I mean, <laughs> I've got him really close. Um, so I'm kind of, if you're truly all in, you believe that it was just, you know, a one-off issue. And again, to your point, like he is getting older, he'll be 29 this, this year, but we've seen a lot of receivers still still be really good at 29, yeah. okay. like 32, 33, 34. That's where like, for sure you're hitting the cliffs, but he is in the range where we see guys that will just start to drop off. Like, so that's what you have to decide. Like last year, was that the beginning of the end, as far as he's hitting that drop-off or was it just, you know, some other factors at play? And now he's in a way better situation. I'm leaning more to the ladder, but but remembering, you know, the fact that, hey, it really could have been a performance while he's starting to run into. So that'll help me maintain like my, my exposure levels around him. But uh, and again, like these right now, he's 43 on underdog. That's going to change for sure. Right. That's that's just based on data that's too old. Um, my guess is he'll climb into probably about where I've got him. I would guess he'll end up being like in the top 30 receivers going off the board.
0: I have him 31, same tier. I would just put, you know, the Denver guys, probably Michael Thomas, uh, maybe Brandon Cooks, ahead of him for pure target volume. But hey, maybe he will be efficient enough to make it work in LA. Last thing, let's talk about Cam Akers because some people are still just sticking with him as, you know, the potential second coming of Todd Gurley. We know Sean McVay over the years has shown a willingness to feed his guy. Dwayne, I'm concerned because he had the role for a second in the playoffs and then he lost it. Henderson's back. I mean, they keep using high-round picks on running backs. Like, I know they don't have a first-round pick, but they have other ways they can look at the position. I mean, you have them RB15. I think that's exactly where I have them. If we have them RB15, I don't think we're going to be getting Cam Akers in many places. It feels like a trap, man. It feels like a trap to treat Cam Akers as legit top five, top eight backs, but yet we have some people doing that. Are they wrong or are we wrong, Dwayne?
1: Yeah, I think people probably want us to disagree more on some of these things. (laughs) I'm sure we will as we get more into ranks and things like that. But yeah, just looking overall at Cam Akers, look, man, it's, it's, and some of it, look, he's coming back from the injury. They probably brought him back a little too soon. And so I'm going to give him some benefit of the doubt, right? You know, one monster coming back from it Two, our expectations probably got a little too high, even on the volume that he was getting. So I'm going to, I'm going to lean into the fact that some of what we have seen with Cam Akers, as far as not hitting um, some of the explosive metrics, things like that, that we know that we want to see probably did tie back, you know, to his injury. But I am also with you. I think that Daryl Henderson has played well enough that is there a really a reason that they would just give Cam Akers the backfield? Like, I think there's enough question there that I'm just not going to have Akers ranked high enough to your point to probably be able to get a ton of shares.
0: Dude, this is what happened last year. So he comes back in week 18. It's awesome. It's an awesome story. I get that. Same... But we can't, same thing with like the Teddy Bridgewater injury. It's awesome, but we can't just draft guys in fantasy football because they're a good story or, or whatever. So it comes back in week 18, doesn't do anything. Wild card round, you know, has the 40-yard catch from OBJ. He had some nice runs, even though the efficiency wasn't there. He looked like he was back, enough to the point that the Rams go ahead and give him 27 touches on 81% snaps against the Buccaneers. What happened after that? Sony Michel out him in the NFC Championship game. Then the Super Bowl. 57% snaps with Henderson getting a lot of the pass down work. So maybe it changes, but yeah, man, how many times does Sean McVay kind of need to see his lead RB become a shell of himself uh, before he does start to put forward a little bit more of a committee. Uh, again, RB 15, that's an upside in RB two. We anticipate acres leading the way, but it's awfully tough, you know, to put him ahead of guys like a Fournette, like a Connor, someone that we're just far more certain is going to have that every down role. I agree. Miami Dolphins up next. Uh, Much like the Chiefs, we've already talked about them a lot, particularly in the past game. so don't need to touch, I think, on really too many of these wide receivers. Just keep an eye on if Devontae Parker will get shipped anywhere, because if he doesn't, man, it's going to be awfully crowded. And you know, One of Cedric Wilson or Mike Jasicki especially are going to be the odd man out, and I-, I would say with Mike Jasicki, he's someone that you're going to want to be fading if he's anywhere close to that top-12 valuation. There's just not really any room in the offense, particularly with Tyreek Waddle. Cedric Wilson, who are three of the more used slot receivers in the NFL, or at least were last year. How about the backfield though, Dwayne? We have Chase Edmonds coming over on a, you know, fairly hefty deal. I believe fetched him $12 million overall. We also have Raheem Mostert there. It's kind of funny to me how seemingly nobody was giving Raheem Mostert hype going to last offseason other than myself. That really worked out, Ian. Uh, but now all of a sudden, you know, we're getting him in graphics alongside Waddle and Tyreek just talking about all the speed on the field, you know, being with Mike McDaniel his old OC certainly helps. What do you make of this backfield? Historically, guys like Edmonds changing teams for the big dollar amounts isn't great. I think Mostert being there kind of shows that they're not exactly signing up to give Edmonds a three down roll. I don't think either guy needs to be in our top 24, but they're not being priced that way. So, do you think Edmonds, if the price stays right, and even maybe moster, could be like the sort of guys that zero RB, anchor RB lineups could be looking to attack later in the middle rounds?
1: Yeah, I think there's the potential for it. Um, my big concern with Edmonds at this point um, is just really how many targets is he going to get when you've got Terry Kill there, you've got Jalen Waddle, who's yeah. going to be working <laughs> probably close to the line of scrimmage a lot. Uh, you still got, you're going to get, we've we've we'll talked about Gasecki in a second, not really high on Gasecki anymore, but he's going to get some targets, you know, Cedric Wilson, um, also a player that can do a lot of work around the line of scrimmage. So my biggest concern for Edmonds is if he ends up being the speed back, which he most likely will be in the offense, the other plus you want to get from that is that he's also the passing down back. My, my concern now is I just don't think there's going to be as many targets. And Edmonds has been really like, you know, his targets per route run for his career are nice, 20%, 19%, 21%. 20%. So even though his target shares, you know, have been five, three, 11 and nine, his underlings tell us that like when he's out there, like he gets targeted quite a bit um, more than what most running backs in the league do. And his yards per route run have been nice. 1.23, 1.32. The problem. So I would love that profile if they hadn't grabbed Hill, I think just adding Hill as well, probably caps that a little bit. Um, so I like Edmonds. I'm with you. I put him as a high end RB three, with an opportunity to climb into that RB two status, I do think he's going to split the backfield. I think he will lead the backfield in touches, huh? um but I don't think it's going to. I don't think we're going to see seventy percent. You know, go to him. Now you got to bake that into his range. His range of outcomes. Like there, it, the thing I will say with that. Means, you know, being a younger player, it's going to be twenty six point four when the season starts. The season. Um, he has shown explosive playability, which I really love, like his explosive play rate is up there. So think like, uh, Elijah Mitchell, right? I think that's what they're looking at, you know, giving that kind of upside to the game. So if the Dolphins offense performs, there are, there are paths to upside with Edmonds, even at his current ADP, I will say that. So I'm going to have exposure to him. I think, I think his ADP will probably continue to creep though um, upward and it may get to a... Now is probably a good time to go ahead and draft him. Let's put it that way. Because I do think that he's a guy that as the offseason goes on, people are going to look at that dead zone. And he's going to be one of the ones that are like, you know, I don't mind taking a a, a stab on this guy. Because yeah. he's a younger player. He's been explosive. He could be involved in the passing game. So he checks a lot of potential boxes. Um, so if he starts to creep up, like I can see him getting up into – what's his ADP right now? Ian? You have it up. My computer's uh, kind of okay. acting crazy, so I don't want to sort on anything.
0: You, lose me. you have him RB26. I have him um, RB31, I believe. I was talking about his uh,
1: ADP. Oh, I'm, I know. Yeah. I'm getting to that. Uh, okay,
0: sorry. He is a little bit higher? Where the hell is he? RB39. That's fantastic. Yeah, I so that's you not should be drafting him now.
1: Yeah. yeah I, I think he will end up being drafted more close to where we have him ranked, to be honest. Yes, and he could get a little bit past it.
0: Behind Melvin Gordon, absolutely not. Behind Ramondre Stevenson, screw that. Yeah, see, that. that's just
1: not updated. It'd be interesting. I wish, like, the way they would slice that data. That's the cool okay. thing about Fantasy Mojo over at FFPC. Um, like, you can just go look at like the last fifteen days okay. of data. So we'll we'll do that next week when we're going through ranks. We'll we'll relook at some of these things.
0: Minnesota Vikings, our next squad. To break down. Uh, Yeah, mostly just the band getting back together. Kirk Cousins, you know, signed an extension to be the quarterback for at least another season. Uh, Dalvin Cook, let's not forget, is going through some, you know, legal turmoil. And that is why, as we probably mentioned for the fifth time here, uh, we do love Alexander Madison. Not someone you need to overly reach on, but again, he has potential standalone flex value in a new offense. And as we saw last year, when Dalvin is out, if he's out, you know, for one reason or another, let's remember those shoulders aren't exactly. You know, in the best state either. Uh, Madison instantly becomes in the RB1 uh, conversation. At wide receiver should once again be Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and K.J. Osborne. Don't expect Osborne to see enough reps. Um, I've also barked, I think, enough throughout this offseason about uh, the potential for Irv Smith to really be a late-round darling. So far, they've only uh, signed Johnny Munt from the Rams. He's a block-first option. My guy Chris Herndon still an unrestricted free agent. Give him a chance, somebody, please. Uh, but yeah, with Irv Smith, love, love, love him, Uh, you know, as that, you know, tight end, you know, in that 15 to 25 range where you can feasibly talk yourself into any of them. I am hanging my hat on Irv Smith this year. Again, though, Dwayne, look, Justin Jefferson, if you want to rank him wide receiver one over Cooper Cup. I think you're maybe trying to draw a little bit of attention to yourself. I'm not so sure it's uh, you know, something that you can rationally put together that much because I just think Cup has the higher target ceiling. But whatever, we're talking about wide receiver one versus wide receiver two, um, any way you put it, I think. What about Adam Thielen, though? And again, I told Hayden Winks this last night because he was the one that brought it to my attention. I'm going to give Hayden Winks a lot of credit for the Thielen call for two weeks before acting like it was my idea all along. But at least for now, shout-out to Hayden for that. Adam Thielen, man. He's going as a low-end wide receiver three when all the damn guy does is score touchdowns, Dwayne. I get it. The hamstring injury is not ideal. He has been a little bit banged up over the years. He's over 30, but he's going to be back, and all he does is score touchdowns on the field. Why not take a stab at Adam Thielen as cheap as he has been in years?
1: Yeah. And I think there's also the potential that does Adam Thielen kick inside and play more of a slot role in O'Connell's offense. I, you know, KJ Osborne played there last year, but I think, you know, Thielen is a guy that could do that and kind of gives you not saying he's Cooper Cup and it isn't just because he's wide, but like he's a great route technician. You know, he knows, he understands zones. He knows how to work on. And we've seen KJ Osborne kick outside and be able to still provide like that deep threat, um, you know, type of, uh, a target down the field. So like, that's something I'm really going to be paying attention to this preseason. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really going to be dialed in on, there's multiple teams cause there's a lot of coaching changes mm-hmm. before the Vikings just listening in to hear how they're planning on using this personnel. Cause I think you can expect a lot of 11 personnel. Whereas in the past we had seen more 12 personnel right under the Kubiak style, whether you want to talk Gary, Clint, you know, Stefanski, you know, whenever he was, uh, running the offense with Kubiak, basically helping him, you know, lots of those heavy set personnel groupings. We now are going to have more of a McVeigh style offense. They actually have the weapons to make that make sense. Um, they've moved on. They don't have the tight ends that they used to have. They used to have Rudolph and Conklin and Irv Smith. Now it's just Irv Smith. So I think we're going to see a ton of 11 personnel. So I think there is potential for Adam Thielen to get to also slide inside in the slot. And to your point, like he's going to be older. He's 32. And the way Adam Thielen wins, he's not like a guy, you know, just burning people down the field right? He is, he, he's a guy that's going to create separation. He's a guy that can work inside and to your point, a great target in the red zone. So I do agree that Adam Thielen, you know, right now is a guy we should consider the, the thing that holds him back the most is the age and the fact that we've just basically seen it, you know, over the last three seasons, 10 games, 15 games, 13 games. A lot of times I know we're like, Hey guys are injured until they're not. Well injuries and older players is something that when you combine those two things together, it concerns me more because I think we see this a lot of times with these guys once they get to the end of their career. Um, and not saying Adam Thielen's done. Like he can play another three or four years for all I know. But he is at that point where I, I'm definitely not gonna project him at, you know, 17 games.
0: Bro, he scored 10 touchdowns last year. I know. Thirteen games. This isn't thoughts. Twenty in the
1: year before, yeah.
0: 24 <laughs> touchdowns in his last 28 games. Like it is insane what he and Kirk are able to do. And yeah, he's not Justin Jefferson, that's okay. That's fine. Look, cop's going, like, if you want to just look at it and use that same Rams parallel, which is reasonable, considering, you know, Kevin O'Connell. Like, A-Rob, we just talked about him being this low-end, upside wide receiver three. Is Adam Thielen
1: arbitrage
0: Allen Robinson, Dwayne? Is that what we're getting to? Is yeah, that like I think, Yeah, I
1: think if, yeah. I mean, obviously, he's older than than Robinson. But yeah, I, I think so. And I think they belong in probably right there in that same tier. Like, right now, I don't even have it up in front of me again. Like My computer's starting to act normal again now. I don't know what was going on. Like, all my resources were gone. I was like, I didn't touch anything. Uh, Yeah, so looking at Thielen, I've got him at 36 right now. Um, So, I mean, I've got him in that wide receiver three tier. But, yeah, I mean, I agree with with Hayden. I think, like, if you – I like the way you put it earlier. Come week one, where is Adam Thielen going to be ranked? You know and then once the week one game happens and he scores the two touchdowns, where's he <laughs> gonna be in week two? Right? All of a sudden then you're gonna see him you know in the top fifteen. The question is just can Thielen keep it up, you know, the whole season? I think that's that's the main thing you got to look at.
0: New England Patriots up next. Man, like this offense, I think if you don't have a single Patriot on your fantasy team like this year, it's not gonna be a bad thing. Nothing against these guys. Maybe Mac Jones makes a nice year two leap, but it's just gonna be crowded. The backfield brought brought in Ty Montgomery and brought back James White. The contract, you know, for uh both guys, it's not huge, you know, only 500k guarantee for James White, just 300 for Ty Montgomery. So not a guarantee they're on the roster. Either way, though, it looks like that Ramondre Stevenson is not going to be getting uh, anything close to, you know, that pass down plus um, some early down uh, work role that we were hoping for. So Stevenson, to me, people are still just holding on to, you know, one or two pretty dope runs a little bit uh, too much. You know, some of the like uh, to, to Dwayne's uh, point out, Jay Moore and Matt Waldman, some of the smarter guys out there. I'm I feel like it might have been Jay Moir that brought this up, but like, you know, them even talking about Leonard Fournette coming in there to me is just a negative for uh, Stevenson because it was never going to be Harris to get that pass down work. It was going to be Stevenson, if at all. And now it's looking like, you know, the answer to that is just going to be a no. So Harris should continue to be a lead early down back, but he's once again going to be splitting it up. Who knows if the Patriots are going to be as dominant as they were last year? I mean, they were blowing dudes out, one of the best point differentials in the AFC. And not help these early down backs so if anything I'm subscribing to the adage of take the cheapest Patriots running back available and use a late round pick on probably White maybe even Montgomery but again if the answer is just no I'm okay with that Jacoby Myers is back in action should be him Nelson Aguilar Kendrick Bourne you know Dwayne everyone's fine at a price but once again is anyone getting you excited in New England
1: You know, I mean, for me with Stevenson, like I like him in best ball because I think he still gives you spike week potential. Damian Harris is a very physical back. Like, so like the the propensity to take on injuries is probably there with Harris. So I think you're going to get some games where it really is the Stevenson, uh, you know, getting to play the Harris role. Um, The way I look at it is Damian Harris is kind of like, you know, they've always had really like the early down banger. I think that's still going to be Damian Harris. Then you have the true passing down back. That's probably James White. Your point didn't spend a lot of money on him. So if they cut him, that ends up being a positive for Stevenson. Um, but then when you look at Stevenson, they've also always had kind of a, like, the the jack-of-all-trades back. He can play some on passing downs, can help relieve the early down back. Kind the of Rex plays Burkhead rule. The Rex Burkhead. I said that last year, and people went nuts on me. Man, you're an idiot. You see this he was perfectly blocked run in the preseason where he ran for 70 yards? Yeah, Rex Burkhead could also do that if it was perfectly blocked and all he had to do was run. Well, maybe not. Stevenson's probably faster. But anyway. Burkhead
0: sent it, them the Super Bowl. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I know he's 33 now, people, but the guy was- – was a pretty good running back back in the day
1: yeah like Four a good all-round player yeah. yeah so with stevenson you know he did have the 1.66 yards per route run last year now he didn't run a ton of routes only had 94 uh plays where he was in a route um so i mean you can't get too carried away with that but there are some underlying things there to say he could be that true jack of all trades so what that does i like stevenson in best ball because one you could have an injury to harris or james white that opens up new path to opportunity for Stevenson to see a little bit, you know, of work. And I think he still could like Rex Burkhead and some of these other guys used to do come through on a one week spike week type of basis. And maybe you get three or four weeks in the season, even when they're all playing where he scores a couple of touchdowns, you know, and he gives you some value. So I do think Stevenson can still give you value and pick 108 in ADP, most likely a guy that I'm going to try to get exposure to when he slides past his ADP. Um, not a guy like we'll talk about this more as the season gets closer, but there's going to be certain guys where I'm targeting at and past ADP, not going to reach on guys very often, unless I'm just trying to get some exposure in draft season. Then there's going to be other group of players that's like, I'm not going to go nuts about them at ADP, but pretty much anytime they fall past, that's where I'm going to try to like, that's how I want to gain my injury into getting, you know, some ownership around that player, sorry, rostership. Um, so with that said, I Stevenson's really the one I, I'm with you on white. Like I don't, I don't mind taking a stab on white late. I am a little concerned with that contract. It gives me just enough of a pause where I'm like, man, could they just cut him? <laughs> like, is that possible? I I'm kind of surprised that, you know, with James white and his history there, I kind of thought he might get, you know, they're like a couple million, you know, over a couple of seasons. That kind of surprised me the contract. Montgomery's a wide receiver and underdog.
0: Is that uh, any sort of exploitation? It's like the it's like the Len Bowden.
1: Uh, I don't issue. think it's exploitable now. I okay. think what would have to happen is would, we would need white gets we, cut. Yeah, white gets cut. White gets injured. Something like that. Then Montgomery ends up giving you value. I think taking a stab on him now is probably a waste of it. Man, you know, I'm I'm
0: knocking on wood, but this stuff,
1: <laughs> I, I, I don't. Just want, love the, I just love the way you say Mount Montgomery. It makes me always think of, like, Mount Rushmore or something. And I think, like, wow, David Montgomery's on it. Ty Montgomery's on it.
0: I had the it. biggest the other I was beefing Harvard Montgomery from, like, 2018 to 2020 when he kept rocking 88. And I was like, why does this dirt average running back get to be the only guy in the league to break the freaking number rule? And then Nathan Yankee, our guy, PFF Nathan, uh, brought up how I was being a hypocrite uh, with my love for Cordero Patterson rocking 84. And then the whole league said, screw numbers, meaning anything anyway. So now I got to just hat uh, tip Dave, Ty Montgomery, not David. My
1: God. I hope the Patriots do something on offense in the draft. Cause right now it's like, ugh, I don't, I don't like this. I don't like this offense. There's nothing that I really get excited about. CC Chris Olave
0: perhaps. Ooh. New Orleans Saints up next. Famous Jameis Winston under center. I talk a little bit in the solo pod about Jameis. Like, okay, he had the huge week one. He had another QB three performance. Other than that, he was outside the top 25 basically every week. The only year of his career that he's been like a consistent QB one was in 2019 when he obviously also threw the 30 interceptions. So Jameis, like I get it. He's fun. I really have my doubts so that he's going to be unleashed in a fantasy friendly manner. He doesn't run, and they barely even let him pass last year. So barring you know a big change, just not really going to be too high in on James, other than as a late-round dart. Uh, Alvin Kamara, like Alvin Cook, it does find himself in some legal problems, so keep an eye on that. Uh, we need to see what they're going to do at backup. Running back is, I don't know. Is Mark Ingram? I guess their RB two that he signed like a deal. That (laughs) he is their RB
1: two right now. I've got him in the ranks. It's low, but (laughs) I've got him in there. For some, Uh,
0: I'm not sure if Kamara is serious enough that he could be looking at a suspension. My God, Mark Ingram, like as a RB two in the year 2022.
1: I don't want to overreact with Kamara, but I mean we're going to be 27. Um, he does have the receiving profile that helps, but like targets per route run have gone from 33% to 29% to 27%. He had another 30 in 2020, but then last year down to 24%. That was career low, um, second lowest season of his career in yards per route run. Still good, though, for a running back. 1.62 is freaking great for a back. Just, we've seen him have, he's had three uh, years as a rookie with over two yards per route run, It's freaking nuts uh, to see that. So um, and then just looking at like some of his other, um, you know, underlying metrics. So if you look at his breakaway attempts, so that carries a 15 or more career low, two and a half percent explosive rushing attempts, which is the one I like more, which is carries a 10 yards or more, nine percent, a career low. Ooh. So lots of career lows last year for Alvin Kamara. You have to at least question legal issues coming in, and are we starting to see a potential deterioration of the skill set? The positive on Kamara is like folks are pricing some of this in already. Um, and, and you and you just have what could be a freaking terrible offense. Like you, you've lost Sean Payton. It matters. You just lost Sean Payton. You don't really have a lot of weapons. Jameis, you just mentioned like there. there's a lot of questions around um, Kamara. Michael
0: Thomas should be back in action, and my God, he's looking like their only uh, wide receiver at this point. Traquan Smith, still a free agent. Kenny Stills, who was actually on the squad last year, free agent. Deontay Harris, though, is projecting right now as their number two wide receiver. And cut, kind of, you know, Deontay Hardy, excuse me. I'm still not gotta, man that was going
1: to throw me off for a while.
0: Still got to uh, get. You can't uh, even an search him on R- right?
1: PFF and find him. You still have to put Harris
0: <laughs> right <laughs> now. Deontay Hardy slash oh, Harris. Hardy, yeah, you know Deontay Hardy. Wide receiver, like outside the top 100 on underdogs. So, you know, another candidate for like your last round pick. Uh, You know, it's funny, like if, you know, any other fantasy analysts out there probably know what I'm talking about. But if you do like any sort of efficiency study on wide receivers from last year, like you're going to see like five, six, uh, seven great receivers. And then Deontay Harris. So credit to him last year, uh, made the most out of his opportunities and was the recipient of several uh, bombs from Jameis. I think the big question right now we've talked a little bit about Alvin Kamara, again, deontay hardy you can throw him a late round dart if you want what to make of michael thomas he's someone that going into last year man expecting him to be healthy i had him as a top 10 receiver now we're seeing him priced really outside the top 20 i hear you with the offense having concerns but my god who else is there to throw
1: the ball to no i think i think james can be enough to feed michael thomas like that that doesn't concern me like i was completely out on thomas last year at adp so i had zero exposure but this year, I think I'm going to have some, you know, every year is its own thing. And if you, you put it best, we don't hate players who hate ADP. Yeah. So that dictates a lot of like, you know, really, you know, how we should think about really, you know, our strategy and the way we'll, we want to use to deploy our resources, which are to begin our fancy draft picks, right? Later we deal with free agency, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, as far as um, looking at Michael Thomas for me right now, I think I'm going to have him in the wide receiver three range. It does concern me. We've basically, basically been two years since we've seen yeah. Thomas. We are going to have a lesser version of the offense. But I, I do think that you could – like I would feel more comfortable if someone, even at his age, someone wanted to make the argument of Michael Thomas getting 100 receptions than Juju, even though Juju is 26. Like because we've seen Thomas really put that in the range of outcomes, not just based on the volume of an offense, but truly being able to demand the targets. The only question is – is he still the same player physically? Can he continue to demand? I think the positive for him is he's always been more of an intermediate route option. He works inside. They put him in motion a lot. I think they'll still do those things. You get him inside against uh, linebackers and safeties and the zone coverage schemes. Um, I think those are still positive things that if Michael Thomas's mind is right and like he's committed to this, I think he could still come through and out produce ADP.
0: Michael Thomas, though, let's check this out career and i've you know barked about this a lot but what's one more time gonna hurt slant route 6.44 yards per route run. number one among 145 qualified wide receivers on comeback and hitches he's number two ends posts and crossing routes he's number six out in corner routes 41st out of 130 goes wheels fades general deep routes 24th out of 98 screens he's 88th so guys He's more than just a slant guy. Don't freaking hate the man for doing something that apparently everyone knows is coming yet. They still can't stop him from being the most efficient wide receiver in the game at running. Just real
1: quick on that. Like people need to keep in perspective. Like the slant is one of the most utilized passes in the, all of the NFL slants and are, are huge. They're a huge part of every offense almost. So, I mean, you got to take some of this with a grain of salt. Like, yes, does, does Thomas get a lot of volume on slants? Yeah, but a lot of receivers, a big portion of what they're doing comes on slants. It just so happens that Michael Thomas has had seasons, you know, where he's seeing, you know, nearly 200 targets. So it's much more pronounced and people notice it, but it's not that huge of a deal. Slant New. Boy. Slant Boy. Like, I grew up with my kids watching Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Like you know, It's like <laughs> Slant Boy and I don't know what else.
0: New York football Giants up next. Uh, it concerns me in March when I'm excited about teams like the New York Giants. But here we are, Daniel Jones, the quarterback. Y'all, once again, Tyrod Taylor signed as the backup. Really the ideal backup. Like if Trubisky was here, then we'd have to worry about an open competition. Uh, no doubt in my mind that Daniel Jones will be under center in week one. Unless we forget weeks one through four last year, dude, I believe already had three top 12 finishes. So he does have some upside, and now he's got the same coach. That that helped Josh Allen be a great fantasy quarterback before he also became a great real-life quarterback. So Daniel Jones right now is my favorite late-round you know, quarterback to get. He's going as like QB 27-28, so you can really get him at the very end of drafts. Again, I'm not saying in your you know 10-team league with your friends how you're going to lean on Daniel Jones as your QB 1, uh, more so super flex best ball uh, type of thinking there. It gets interesting after that, Dwayne. The wide receiver room is awfully crowded. We got to see how Sterling Shepard comes back from injury. So Kenny Galladay, Kenny, or uh, Darius Slayton also, uh, Kadarius Tony, who we're hoping takes a step forward, you know, obviously flashed a lot last year, had a high yards per route run, even had over 50 targets on the season, so he qualifies for a lot of these good lists. Again, just confusing where that ball is going to go around. Also need to make sure if Ricky Seals Jones is going to be their undisputed tight end one, or if they're going to bring back, you know, a Caden Smith, a Levine, Tori Lolo, one of those type of guys, and make things more split, so keep an eye on RSJ. It's looking good. The wide receiver room, we got to hash out a little bit. The big. Question that I was coming to in the ranks, Dwayne is are we gonna be scared off from Saquon? Because we were on him last year. We were, I think, on the right side of history until we got the freaking fluke of all fluke injuries when he lands on his own teammate's foot against the Cowboys and it set him back. But let's face it, wasn't exactly good coming back from that injury after. I guess my question is: like, looking ahead to next season, we do have a coach that we saw in Buffalo give Devin Singletary the every-down roll. We've heard the potential for Saquon to be traded, but I wouldn't say it's a situation that we should necessarily be assured it's going to happen. Saquon Barkley is being grouped in with a lot of RB2s that he should have a larger work- workload then.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, last year, Saquon didn't look good early in the season. He wasn't explosive, but he was coming off the injury just as he was starting to hit his stride. it's to your point, like he got picked up another injury. so. I think the big question with Barkley is he still the explosive player that he once was um, because he is a player that, you know, takes on a lot of negative plays, but he overcomes it. Kind of like what we talked about with Swift. Come, he can overcome it with the really big play. Miles Sanders kind of in that same group, Travis Etienne, in that same group. The question is, does he still have the explosiveness? And we just don't know. Like we don't know. Um, I, I, I tend to think that man, the type of athlete Barkley is, in the work ethic that he's going to have towards it. If he can just stay healthy in training camp and out of the gate, like he's a player that I don't know how much I want to gain exposure to Barkley way early in draft season, you know, Ian, but if I see him looking healthy, looking good, we're getting maybe two weeks away from the season. I'm probably going to ramp up my exposure to Barkley. Cause I don't think he's really going to go up in ADP. I think people are done. I think people are just like, man, I can't do it. You know, there's certain players that everyone gets to that point on. I think that's kind of where Barkley is. People are just like, I'm done. I'm over it. People are doing it with Zeke. What's um, so different
0: between Barkley and James Conner, man? We saw right, James just Conner way, do way, a way better
1: shot. offense for Conner, but that's it. You're, you're right. You're on the right path. I agree. But I think that we could make an argument that, man, Barkley doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on him. No. He's had the injuries, but he doesn't have a ton of carries on him. So if that explosiveness still is in there, it's in there somewhere and it's residing in there. And now you got Evan Ingram gone. You got Sterling Shepherd coming off of injury, age 30 season. Um, Kenny Galladay, you know, should be better. He was injured early last year, never got on the same page with Daniel Jones, but he's gonna be more downfield. Like I think there's an opportunity, and we know that Saquon can work out of the backfield. He's gonna be out there on passing downs. Yeah, I think there is a path. To him really, you know, outperforming ADP. I think he has to be explosive, though, right? The other two guys, Fournette and Connor, the volume projection is probably going to be similar, but they're on better offenses. So Barkley's going to need the big plays to help carry the day for him. And that's the thing that we won't know until we get to hear a little bit more about him and make sure that he's healthy, fully, entering.
0: And I have Barkley behind Connor and Fournette, but like I don't want to only penalize Barkley for being on a bad offense and just ignore that for like David Montgomery and DeAndre Swift. I think we do that sometimes where we're not, you know, equally, uh, you know, weighting certain variables for every running back. So I do think the Giants could take a nice step forward. I understand it's been a while since we've seen the Giants making like smart decisions, but you look at their coaching staff and everything they've done in this offseason, Dwayne, from a real-life football perspective, I feel like the needle is pointing up in New York, I and mean, when we can get Saquon really as cheap as ever, now fully healthy going to the year, we don't need to worry about them ramping him up to begin with. Uh, I think Saquon, man, could be a screaming value. Yeah. We, we both have him ranked ahead of Cam Akers. I have him ranked as RB8 right now, which – I was like, you know, having like a nervous breakdown, even looking at that. So I might need to drop it
1: (laughs) a little bit. That's extreme. Here's the good news. I think, you know, look, this is us being transparent about the way we think about these things. Like we want to help you guys win your drafts, yes. right? That's step one. Then we get into free agency and all that as the season all goes on. All I want
0: in this world, Dwayne.
1: <laughs> exactly. You and me, we're aligned on it. That's what we want. So sometimes when we work through the rankings and we'll talk about projections and where we have them projected versus the way we're ranking them, Saquon's probably going to project better than what we're going to rank. But the main thing is, is if you want folks to take Barkley, you don't have to have him way higher, right? You just right. need to have him a little exactly. above where where industry ADP is, to help people keep people on him but not overdrafting him because the one problem we have to be careful of when we get a guy too high um is then all of a sudden you know someone sends us a dm like man i got barkley on all 10 teams ready to rocky and you're like oh shit like uh (laughs) no that wasn't my that wasn't what i necessarily intended um you know so like and we'll talk through these things like as we're going through the off season we talk about rankings talk about projections all that different stuff but with barkley i think you're I don't disagree with your thought process. I think the biggest ding on him is his offense and can he be explosive? So in year one of his career, 12% of his carries went for 10 yards or more year two, 12% of his carries went for 10 plus yards. 2020 went down to 5%. Last year it was a 6%. So is the 12% are still in there is the 10%. Could we get 10%? I think if you get to like 10% on Barkley, like, Again, he will he will outperform ADP because right now I don't have a doubt that the volume is coming as long as he's healthy.
0: He just turned 25 and, you know, for my money's worth, prime Saquon is still the best running back I've seen of the last five years, at least. New York Jets next up. Don't have to worry about the tight end position again, even though they put a lot of money towards it. CJ Uzoma and Tyler Conklin basically expected to cancel each other out for fantasy purposes. Need to keep an eye on this backfield, but so far so good for Michael Carter. I mean, Tevin Coleman got brought back. We all understand that Coleman, we should, all, we should all understand that Coleman, you know, was a thorn in the side of Carter last year. But I was going through a little closer, Dwayne, and it did seem like Carter was starting – To pull away, week sixteen, Coleman was healthy, Carter was healthy. Carter started and played like seventy percent of the offensive snaps. Unfortunately, the next week against the Buccaneers, he got concussed on like the fifth or sixth play, even though he was already racking up a good chunk of yards. So he didn't finish out that game, obviously. And then they played him week eighteen, but understandably, last game of the year, lost season just got concussed the week before didn't give him that big of a role. So I do wonder if he didn't get concussed and we had a nice three game sample at the end of the year of Carter working as the every down back. If it would have been a little higher on him, we got to get through the draft though. Let's face it before we can really move Carter up, you know, anywhere inside that top 20. So with that situation still a little bit up in the air, what are we thinking about wide receiver as we saw in the Tyreek trade the Jets were really trying to go and get their guy and you would think that Braxton Barrios would have been the odd man out from that deal but man you know seven million in guaranteed money isn't exactly anything to scoff at does the Tyreek Hill interest that the Jets had scare you at all about assuming Elijah Moore will be able to live up to this like top 20 value he's kind of being pigeonholed for right now
1: yeah, the way I'm approaching Elijah Moore, and I've got him right now at 17 in my ranks, and I feel good about it. Like, look, he came out and he did what he needed to do. And he played through injuries, uh, targets per route run, 24%, yards per route run, 1.75. The big thing, you know, 73.8 PFF receiving grade, just missed that 75 cutoff. But again, a ton of really good hits in that next group down, graded 70, basically just under 75 to 65 um, whenever they were a first or second round pick. Elijah Moore qualifies for that for a second round pick. And again, playing, you know, on a, on an offense that wasn't that good with a quarterback learning things. So I still love Elijah Moore, but the way I'm approaching him right now in best ball, I'm not drafting Elijah Moore right now in my best ball drafts. I mean, I'm occasionally doing it because you want to get some mix of him with some of the running backs you're taking later, but I'm not prioritizing him. And the reason why is like Drake London has been linked like to the jets and he's being linked to the jets by like reporters that, you know, know those teams like Daniel Jeremiah, like he's got that strong connection with that front office. So I I think there's a strong chance that we see the jets take a receiver in the first round of the draft, if not picking up one in the second round of the draft. So where I'm going with this, Elijah Moore's ADP is probably as high as it's going to get right now this season. If the jets don't draft a wide receiver, it's not going to move up. People right now are looking at Elijah Moore as he is the one a on the offense. So it's already all baked into his ADP. So on a player like that, the way I want to handle it is I want to wait. And we talked about earlier, Michael Carter right now, I'm splitting the difference because if they don't draft it back, he's going to move up in ADP. If they draft it back, he's going to fall in ADP right now on underdog. He's going off the board as running back 23. So I'm trying to take a balanced approach and it's not, not like I've done hundreds of drafts. I've only yeah. done a, a few of them. This is more me just talking about my strategy that's in my mind. You know, I haven't necessarily applied it like the 50 draft rooms, but right. like if, if I were drafting a hundred times, that's that's my approach that I would have on Carter, Javante Williams. I mean, there's other guys I would split the difference on them. I want to get some exposure now, but I, I want to leave myself room to add more exposure later at a better ADP. Um, but with more, I'm definitely just, I'm kind of, I'm hanging back right now on more because I think. Either he's going to stay at his ADP or it's going to go lower if they draft one.
0: Be a pretty fire article joint. If you just kind of highlighted 10 guys or so like Elijah that you're just like, Hey, their price as high as they're going to be right now. Maybe chill. And we'll attack them after the draft. Just saying, not trying to tell you you what to do, man.
1: No, no, I've tweeted some about it. um, And I've talked about, I did talk about it like in my, if people want to see like my basic list of that, I think we could come back to, but whenever I, it was probably three weeks ago when I did the ADP study stuff that we talked about, maybe it was a month ago, but I've got a list of guys on there um, that, that fit the the criteria. So yeah.
0: Philadelphia Eagles up next, going into free agency, like I don't think they had a single available target like this was the one offense where we did not want any wide receivers or tight ends to go to because damn it we only have one ball to go around we're already run heavy as hell let's just keep it to Devonte and dallas goddard so far so good from that front and obviously jalen hurts has made it through all of the you know just qb kind of movement throughout the league as well so jalen hurts i think locked in again as a low end qb1 Devonte you know in that wide receiver three range and dallas goddard low end tight end one in his own right the backfield is where we have some questions. So Boston, Scott, Restricted free agent. He should be back in Philly kind of game. will still there. Jordan Howard remains an unrestricted free agent, miles Sanders, you know, worst, some of the worst touchdown luck. I think we've seen out the position in quite some time. He was working as the lead back, you know, Dwayne, I don't hate Sanders where he's going, you know, in that RB three range, he's kind of fallen outside, like he's fallen past the dead zone. So I don't think we need to worry about using a fourth or fifth round pick on him. We can maybe even get him cheaper. I will just say, What the hell is going on with the Kenneth Gamewell? love. Are people still just to like their pre-draft evaluations of the guy? Like it was like a LaVisca Chenault level, like his hystericalness going on this backfield. Like how many guys needed to get hurt for Kenneth Gamewell to find the field? Like Jordan Howard came in off the streets and was immediately getting used more for Gamewell. I have no idea how many guys, if it might be an infinite number of running backs who need to get hurt for Kenneth Gamewell to get an early down role in this offense. He's a pass catcher with a quarterback that scrambles instead of checking the Ball down yet where I see him on freaking underdog. We're going as the RB 43. I cannot think of a single good reason to draft Gainwell inside the top 50, maybe even 60 running backs, Dwayne. That's my big takeaway here. So Hertz and maybe Devontae or Goddard have value, but this backfield, man, unless you want Sanders as you know a cheaper guy that falls, that's all I'm looking at.
1: Yeah, I, you know, the way I look, I've got Gainwell be- below as ADP, he's at 43, I've got him at 52. Good now. Uh, So 75.9 receiving grade, 75.8 PFF pass block grade are both really encouraging and yards per route run 1.53. So I think the thing that if you're looking at Gainwell, um, I think, yeah, you're getting kind of overhyped if you're taking him in the 40s. But I think the profile you're looking at is like, could he turn into a James White? Could he turn into a Naheem Hines? Could he turn into a J.D. McKissick? I think that's the upside of the profile for Gainwell. Then if Sanders were to get hurt, maybe he gets a little more carries. But to your point, they've just shown us, so far anyway, like when that situation happens, they're just going to use a committee. So I think with Gainwell in a PPR format and a half PPR, like in standard, I would have no interest in Kenneth Gainwell. So I, I think that they're, I'm going to have some exposure to Gainwell, but I'm not. I'm definitely not a player that I'm trying to reach for and thinking that, oh, my God, like this, you know, this guy's going to take over the Eagles backfield. I don't I don't think that's the approach, but I think in the PPR format he could give some value
0: dude, he only caught 14 passes from week eight to 18. Like you can throw in the playoff game in there. He caught 19 passes. Like if you want to use a decent split, it's like, look at the Eagles offense in weeks one through seven, when they were pretending that hurts could, you know, lead like a legitimate NFL passing game. And then look, starting in that Lions game when they became the most run heavy offense in the NFL, they basically phased game. Well, out of the offense, he came back, you know, in the playoff game, like, yeah, if the Eagles are going to fall behind by three, four touchdowns, he'll probably get out there. And hurry up, comeback mode. And when the defense is playing forty yards back every play, he'll probably have some decent numbers. Not the type of guy I'm looking to. Gamewell is going ahead of the Naeem Hines and like J.D. McKissicks of the world that we know are what we're hoping Gamewell can be. Yeah,
1: so, see, I, I wouldn't think. be doing that exactly. I, I think that's the way you need to think about it. Like, is you're hoping that he turns into one of those profiles, and he's got blockers to doing that, yeah. like you just mentioned. <laughs> They want to be a run heavy team. And Jalen Hurst likes to freaking scramble. He doesn't, you know, a lot of times the scrambling quarterbacks don't throw the ball, don't check it down to the back. So he's got some things working against him um, from a standpoint of even reaching the profile that we're hoping he could maybe live up to. And I'll tell you
0: what: if the ceiling of a guy is like another guy that's ranked outside the top forty, maybe you shouldn't be uh, chasing that in the first place. Pittsburgh Steelers, Big Ben. Now Rosberger. here's a guy. <laughs> <laughs> ben Rosberger retired. Mitch Trubisky now under center. It's- you know, I, I was getting chastised some on the uh, old quote tweet graphic for saying Trubisky could be a better fantasy quarterback than real life, and I, I still think that's true. But at the end of the day, you know, he's he's so cheap. You can it's, he's in the Jameis Mariota kind of tier where like, okay, we can pick a game here or there or a stretch and kind of point towards him, maybe supplying some fantasy value, better situation around him. At the end of the day, you know, most one QB leagues, no one's gonna ever be rostering this dude in 2021. But maybe I don't having, think
1: Trubisky over both of those. Just, just. What about Daniel Jones? Just because I would take him over Daniel Jones. Wow. Just to give it a shot, like I like the weapons better. I still like the team better um, than the Giants overall, Um, but we'll see. Like, it's close. Like I like I like like as a head coach. Um, So I think there's positives there, but I think just with Trubisky, um, I think those I get where you're going. Like those two are close. I still like the weapons better for Mitch. Right? We have a lot of questions about the weapons with the Giants. We think oh they could be, but will they be? We don't know. Um, whereas with the Steelers, like I think we just know more about the offense. I feel a little bit better about it.
0: Najee's still very much locked in as the RB1. You're going to be hard-pressed. You only need one hand to count the number of running backs. You're going to want ahead of Najee in fantasy this year. Wide receiver uh, and tight end to a lesser extent, it's worth interesting. Pat Fryermuth, you know, I, I think it's okay having him around that tight end one board line. There's some guys I'm going to prioritize. I'm just still a little bit concerned if he gets the full-time role. Should he? Yes, but brought this up before I don't love that he's splitting snaps with Zach Gentry in our last uh, game that we really have a legitimate sample from with that said Chase Claypool versus Deontay Johnson Dwayne I've been all over Deontay the last two years because we could buy him as like a wide receiver three and we knew he had the wide receiver one workload with Big Ben I'm not so sure that's going to be the case the, you know Pittsburgh Steelers every time they put a microphone in front of Mason Rudolph's face he talks about how the offense is going to be different and not Big Ben style. They're probably not going to be throwing you know, a shit ton of short passes all game again. Maybe it is going to be the Chase Claypool yeah. show as the wide receiver one. I think Deontay is really good. I'm not convinced he's a legit like top five, top ten receiver talent. I don't like seeing his name at the bottom of a lot of efficiency metrics when we try to look through this. And I get it. Big Ben was not helping those matters. And I'm not worried about Deontay because of the drops. I just also think Claypool is pretty damn good. And now we're being asked to really buy Deontay for the first time at his ceiling. I'm not going to be signing up to take him as a top 15 receiver. Dwayne, I don't know about you.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the thing, right? What you're talking about is like, we're, we're being forced now to take Deontay Johnson at his ceiling and we've got a quarterback change. I'm not going to overthink it. I'm going to, I think if, if you're drafting multiple teams, you want to get your exposure to Deontay Johnson, yeah. but you're not going to be overweight on him. Like it's the way I, the best way I can, I can put it. I'm much more likely to be overweight on Chase Claypool because of the large disparity, right? right? Like Chase Claypool is a name right now. If you're drafting in best ball, he's on my list of, you should be drafting them today. His, his ADP is going to creep up. Why? Because he fits the wide receiver to uh, the year two, year three model, of a guy that was taken early in a draft, those guys yep. creep up. We talked about it on that episode. They're going to creep up throughout, um, you know, this off season. And so right now, Deontay Johnson is already priced at the high end. Claypool is priced at, um, you know, a ninth round, tenth round ADP, gotcha. and that is going to move up. So you want to get your exposure to Claypool now. And let's just real quick, Juju's gone. So Claypool is going, and you got James Washington gone. Remember, there had been a rotation. Of those guys. So when they go to 12 and 21, meaning two tight ends or two running backs, running back and a fullback, that's 21 personnel. When they went to those formations, you were seeing Juju sometimes stay on the field and Claypool leave. And so now with Washington gone, with Juju gone, Claypool should have like the cleanest path he's had in his career into his routes run per uh, team dropback. He was 65% as a rookie. And still came through, you know, in fantasy. And then last year he was at 71%. I think this is the year where Deontay Johnson's probably going to be, you know, if he's healthy, the only thing that's held back Deontay in this number has been health, but not, he'll be out there 95% of the time. Um, if he's healthy, I think Claypool's probably gonna be 85-90%, which is about a 20% bump. Just that alone is enough to think that Chase Claypool's gonna have a better year than last season. Like and CD lamb kind of fits in a, in a similar boat. I've done some analysis like that on lamb already. So I think Claypool's absolutely, you should be on it right now
0: still just 23 years old. The only bad thing you can say about Claypool is he accidentally celebrated a first down too long in one game. I mean, come on, people. Let's find bigger things to worry about. San Francisco 49ers. We are down to our last five teams for the first ever three-plus-hour podcast for PFF Fantasy. Got to love it, Dwayne. We are uh, we are living our best life here on March 25th. But, yes, with San Fran, Jimmy Garoppolo, still a member of the 49ers. Uh, you know, we kind of heard a hilarious rumor that some team has offered for two second round picks for him not so sure about that Dwayne what percentage certainty do you think Trey Lance is under center week one I'm probably 85 percent
1: yeah I think that's where I'm at um you know my, my biggest thing for Lance is everyone's already assuming the absolute best we talked about it yesterday so he's a name that's on the list of not drafting right now because <laughs> people are freaking already drafting him way too high I mean here we go again like it's just it's like insane. But I think as we get closer to the season and people remember you get a lot of more of the casual people coming in drafting, and no hate on the casuals, we love everybody. <laughs> but people they're not gonna want to take that risk on Claypool, just like they didn't want to take the risk on Hertz. Once you didn't just have like all the hardcore fantasy people drafting and you saw more and more people getting in, Hertz ADP started to move down, right? So I think we're gonna see the same thing with Trey Lance. But I think 75, 85%, you know, is a good bet. Look, if Jimmy G is still on the roster. The number's going to go down for me, yeah. but the longer we wait. And if Jimmy G is still there, if we get to August and Jimmy G is still on their roster, I mean, I'll probably have it at a coin flip at that point. You Ooh. know, we'll be, obviously we'll be listening to the reports out of camp, but can we even trust like, especially <laughs> in, San- in 49er land, like God, like talk about getting broadsided by a freaking bus <laughs> walking across the street is trying to figure out a freaking San Francisco 49ers pecking order from beat reports. Like it's a, it's a madhouse. The
0: good news is we don't have too many more like any new big names to worry about here. Like, all right, they, they added Trent Shurfield, um, you know, R- River Craycraft and uh, Trenton Cannon to the wide receiver and running back rooms. Not really expecting any of them to I have. I bet
1: River Craycraft's parents, I bet they're absolutely. Actually, crazy.
0: no, I'm sorry. I read that wrong. They all left. Uh, sorry to Mr. and Still Mrs. stands. Craycraft. Still stands.
1: River Craycraft parents, I bet they're <laughs> Like, just, just listen to the name. Like, it sounds like a very, and this isn't bad, but like an artsy family, a lot of, a lot of art. <laughs> Probably a lot of outdoors activities um anyway you know, a lot of gardening I think the five remaining listeners
0: we had probably just turned off the pod, but that's okay. Ray-Ray <laughs> Ray McLeod is actually the only guy still in the picture, but with Juwan Jennings resigned, signed uh, he should continue to be that non-viable fantasy wide receiver three. Dwayne, if there is a big winner from this offseason other than presumed QB1 Trey Lance, but we've talked about the problem moving from Jimmy G at Trey Lance It's that there's now fewer targets to go around. There's fewer rush attempts to go around. Good things for Trey Lance as a fantasy QB, not so much for all of his weapons. With that said, Elijah Mitchell here, big time winner. Raheem Mostert goes to Miami. They bring back Jeff Wilson and Jermichael Hasty, and they still have uh, Trey Sermon. So that could legitimately be their RB def chart. Three guys that we saw Kyle Shanahan consistently play Elijah Mitchell over. Now, we're going to have some Debo. We're going to have, obviously, Trey Lance soaking his way in there. But Elijah Mitchell... I'm not – we don't need to treat him as an RB1, but if he's going to be there in the low-end RB2 range, is he someone that you think is going to fall in the dead zone or are we okay trusting him?
1: No, I mean, as long as they don't draft another back, Elijah Mitchell's ADP is going to go up. So he's another one like Michael Carter where I would be really trying to split, you know, the way I'm thinking about it. Like, Mm -hmm. And the deal is, like, look, he came in and he played great, but he just doesn't have the draft capital. Same thing with Michael Carter. And Carter's draft capital is a little better. uh, But if we get through draft season and – they didn't take another back. I think Mitchell will slowly creep up the ADPs. I don't think you'll see a huge lift because my guess is most people are another reason he's being held down is because Debo's involved right in the backfield. And we know that you still have a Jeff Wilson who resigned. There's other guys, Trey Sermon, you know, who knows what's going to happen there. I think just the uncertainty of the way Kyle Shanahan handles his backfield is also baked into his ADP. So I don't, I think with Carter, you'll see a bigger jump if they don't add anyone to the backfield. I think Mitchell, you'll still see a little small climb as we get closer um, to the season if they don't add someone in the draft.
0: Look, I understand Devo Samuel's awesome. His role is sweet. Watching him and Trent Williams swagger out with the boombox, it was one of my favorite parts about their playoff run. I don't think I want to buy him as a top six freaking wide receiver, Dwayne. We're buying a scat back, essentially. Look at Debo Samuel's receiving numbers ever since they got Brandon Ayuk out of the doghouse. The dude was going weeks without catching even five balls in a game. He didn't catch five passes in the playoffs. I don't think he's going to score a rushing touchdown every like seven or eight times he touches the ball again, man. We're asking an awful lot out of Debo from an efficiency standpoint, and maybe he can do it. He is an awesome player, but my God, man, do we really want to draft Debo like ahead of CD lamb ahead of like true number one receivers? Cause I don't think this is like a more, his role would be awesome. If he was a pure running back, I don't think this is great, man. Like give me 150 targets versus hundred targets and you know, 50 rush attempts.
1: Yeah, I think this is where you kind of come down to your philosophy of, you know, do you want to bet more on being able to predict the situation right, or do you just want to go ahead and bet more on the talent that you've seen already just absolutely go freaking bonkers? And yeah. and, and it's a it's a real question, like because we haven't seen CD Lamb go bonkers yet. We think he could. We've actually seen Debo Samuel dominate yeah. other grown freaking men, <laughs> not just not just you know manage to put up numbers dominate them like on another level and so you just don't see players like that that much and so that's what Debo is a player that I'm with you I think his role is kind of fragile I he think he could be third efficiency. on his own team in targets that's possible it could be but at the same time when I look at him and I'm like he's a top 10 talent in the NFL <laughs> so it's like what do you do with it like you don't want to you don't want to not have Debo Samuel on some teams um, so it's but to your point, I think it will keep me, I won't, there's no way I end up, in most early round picks, you're not, you don't want to be overweight, right? A lot of what you're trying to do in the early rounds is just avoid busts, avoid injuries. So this isn't like a huge takeaway, but I'm not going to be overweight on Debo. You know, if anything, I could see myself being slightly underweight, to your point, on Debo. But I want to have my exposure because like he's just such a good play. Dude, are we even
0: positive he's going to have that wide-back role? They didn't start doing it until Mitchell got hurt. In the, like, Remember how bad their running back ran. was? Dude, it's was? the 49ers.
1: We don't know anything. Like, let's just <laughs> move on. <laughs>
0: Well said, Dwayne. Moving on, Seattle Seahawks. We're going to talk
1: about that situation 55 times (laughs) before anybody drafts.
0: At least. Uh, Seahawks, Drew Locke, the QB1 for now. We've heard some Baker Mayfield rumors, obviously, in the market uh, during the draft. Either way, you're not going to want to touch uh, any of those parties involved in fantasy land. I just hope that maybe, just maybe, whoever is under center can help enable Tyler Locke at DK Metcalf. Not overly sold on that, though. I do think uh, betting on Metcalf Metcalf long-term as a dynasty guy. Metcalf. Metcalf. There we go. (laughs) All pronunciations go out the window when you're three hours in. I think betting on him, man, and dynasty is fine. But my goodness, I'm dropping him down because we've always had – like he's overcome the volume issues for the most part because of Russ. Now if we take away the efficiency, I don't trust the Seahawks to really feature – netcalf ne- ne- and Lockett as their top two guys because they wouldn't do it before. So why should we expect that to change? Uh, tight end, you know, Gerald Everett is out of the picture. Can we trust Noah Fant as the number one guy? Of course not because Will Disley, uh, you know, had to get eight, freaking over $10 million in guaranteed money for whatever reason. So Noah Dwayne,
1: Fant finally, finally gets to move on, which he's wanted to, and he's still stuck with Drew Locke. Still <laughs> stuck with Drew Locke and still
0: stuck in a tight end committee as well. Just can't win if you're Noah Fant. The one question, Joanne, because again, I think we're both lower or we should be lower than consensus on Metcalf and
1: Lockett. And, you know, we'll get through that. I later. think you're gonna be further lower than me. Like I, I need to move him down some more. I'm already yeah. lower. Again, he's similar to Debo. We have seen Metcalf go beast, just completely beast out, right? I have Metcalf
0: wide receiver sixteen.
1: Yeah. So I think I have him at twelve or something like okay. that. So and I think he's going eight right now on underdog. So um we're we're below. Um, It's a player you're going to want to have some exposure to because he is—he's an awesome football player. Like, and he—he he has the traits that he could dominate. He really could. But wow, bad Oops. offense, <laughs> doesn't run enough plays. Bad quarterback, going to have to share with Tyler Lockett. Boy, there's a lot of negative shit piling up. Uh, Excuse my friends there, like for for DK Metcalf.
0: Running back is where it's interesting. Rashad Penny yeah. did come back. He was being featured at the end of the year. Probably want a good chunk of you listeners. Uh, your league if you're happy, if you're lucky enough to get him under the under the roster. Now, Chris Carson apparently maybe will be back from his degenerative neck issue. I don't know. It doesn't sound great. Even if he is back, maybe Penny keeps taking over. The last time they were both healthy was at the end of 2019 for like a two-game stretch where they were used pretty evenly. Obviously, you know, the upside of being in this offense has crater without Russell Wilson under center to me Dwayne I think Penny is okay at where he's going he's not going to be in that dead zone if you are going hero RB or just pure zero RB you could do worse than signing on to have Penny as a super high upside you know RB2 RB3 once we're hopefully getting into you know round seven eight yeah
1: Penny is in the draft now bucket because what's what's the worst case scenario right now most people are assuming it's some sort of a split backfield um, back in Seattle, and so that's where he's being priced. What's the most likely piece of news we're going to get that's going to change? He's people are already assuming Chris Carson's going to have a role, and so that's the way Penny is priced. So it's not like Penny's ADP is going to go down. It's just not. It's going to stay around where it's at. The most likely change for Penny is up when we hear more news that oh wow, Chris Carson isn't isn't tracking well. Oh wow, Chris Carson may not play this season. Oh my God, Chris Carson's not going to play. Those are your ranges of stories of news that's going to break. On Penny, and any one of them are at periods of time going to move his ADP up, most likely. And if you get to the point where we're not sure Chris Carson's going to play, like Penny's Mm -hmm. going to move up, you know, probably at least around maybe two rounds. And if you ever hear that Carson's gone, he's out of the picture, like Penny's going to go in round four. So, like, now's the time to, to draft Rashad Penny. I don't think there's any sort of news that's going to make him go down in ADP, right? Even if they came out tomorrow and said, Chris Carson's going to be able to play this season. I think it's already priced into where Rashad Penny's going in ADP.
0: November 12th, Pete Carroll called uh, Chris Carson a game time (laughs) decision on uh, November. uh, Let's see, November 19th, seven days later, it gets unveiled that he's undergoing season ending neck surgery. And then, let's see, January 10th, Pete Carroll told reporters that he expects Carson to be ready to go when training camp kicks off. Uh, Respectfully, screw you, Pete Carroll, from a fantasy football standpoint. Just tell us if the guy's hurt or not, or shut the hell up about it. Pull the (laughs) – God, man, just – all right, enough of the Seahawks. Enough of the freaking Seahawks. Three more squads. Tampa Bay Buccaneers feels like Tom Brady unretired like six months ago. Apparently, it was much closer than that. But, yeah, really looking at, you know, this is the whole really gang being back together. Again, Leonard Fournette, anyone's idea of a top 10 fantasy back because we love those sweet, sweet targets. We also have, you know, Chris Goblin with the long-term deal. We'll see how that recovery goes from, The ACL. I know Goblin himself wouldn't put a timetable on it. Hopefully, he's good to go sooner rather than later. We know Mike Evans will be getting his. We know also know that that Tom Brady is not necessarily going to be feeding Evans that 150, you know, mega Jameis-esque target workload. So I do think Evans is still tough to kind of creep into the true wide receiver one category. Either way, though, he's someone that you're going to be happy to have on the fantasy squad. Gronk, we got a report coming out recently saying that maybe he actually is torn on coming back. I think they're just trying to milk the Bucks. some extra money, Gron- Gronk even said himself in that barber shop that you know Tommy made him wait for a couple months, so he's going to do the same uh, to the Buccaneers. I would. I know if, if, I, if I, if I could bet on it, I would think Gronk is going to be there. And then he will be a top 10 tight end in fantasy land. I think the big question here, Dwayne is what to make of Russell gauge. Cause if Godwin is going to miss some time. Now we have gauge working as the number two or number three pass game option. And even once Godwin is back, like I'm look, gauge is not Antonio Brown. He's not going to be Antonio Brown. Please for the love of God, don't think I'm putting him in the same category as Antonio Brown as an on-field player, but like, A.B. last year, he was a bargain. And this year, so is Russell Gage, man. I mean, look, I'm an underdog right now. Wide receiver 67, and I don't – I think that's being impacted by some of the stuff pre-free agency. Even if he's up into the 40s or so, man, like we're looking at a situation where that's probably, like if he's going in the wide receiver 40 range, that's probably his floor as a number three wide receiver there. Or maybe not floor, maybe his median projection if Godwin and Evans are healthy all year. But if Godwin misses a chunk of time, we're looking at a guy with, you know, as an upside wide receiver three.
1: Yeah, I, I like Gage. Um, I've got him right now. I've got him at 51. Mm-hmm. Um, And so you, you you might have him a little bit higher. Like I've already, we've already covered in the past, like why I like him. He does a really good job against man coverage. You know, he surprised me in a lot of different metrics as far as separation, targets per route, run, all those sort of things. And that's really what the Bucs are looking for and losing Antonio Brown because he led the team in those categories to your I got point. 42. Not, yeah. not a replica of Antonio Brown, but <laughs> going to get to play with the GOAT has showed on a limited um, amount of, you know, routes earlier in his career, showed some positive things. His role grew with the Falcons. He continued to produce. It's the kind of player like that intrigues me. And to your point, he could have extra value earlier in the season with Godwin recovering. If Godwin all of a sudden takes longer than we think to get back, like Russell Gage, you could have, you know, a wide receiver three on your hands for maybe the first month, month and a half of the season. And then, like, what if one of the other players gets hurt? What if Grant gets hurt at some point in the season? Could happen. What if Godwin re-injures something? Mike Evans gets hurt. Like, he immediately is good enough to step in, and you know he's now getting to play with Tom Brady, and he's going to see he's got an ability to actually earn um, those targets, right? It's not just, oh, now there's empty targets, so you get to take them. Um, just because we're going to pencil you in with Russell Gage, he's actually good enough, I think, to go out there and do that. So I think there's a lot of different ways to think about Russell Gage returning value to you um, this season. And to your point, like it's it's I definitely have him um, under the current uh, ADP at underdog. I'll have to look at FFPC to see like what what's adjusted. I don't think it's going to move a ton. Um, to be honest, I think even though he signed with the Bucks, most people are going to look at him and say, oh, "Hey, it's the third or fourth option." Yeah. I think the way you're thinking about it is the right way. Like underlying metrics look good and there are multiple paths to him earning a larger role than what we think he's going to have right now.
0: Tennessee Titans still got Ryan Tannehill under center. Obviously we're all hoping Derek Henry is going to be healthy enough to do his thing. Dwayne and I each have Henry as our RB4. Like, Guys, even when he ran for two thousand yards, he wasn't the RB one that year because pass catching is so freaking important. So the fact they brought back Show Hilliard, unfortunately, I think puts an end to the pipe dream of Henry actually having a big time role as a receiver. Last year, low key, eighteen catches in eight games. Previous career high was nineteen, set in twenty twenty. Like maybe he, maybe he'll finally get twenty, ma'am. I don't think it's going to be the forty or fifty that could help us put him, you know, ahead of guys like McCaffrey and uh, obviously like even John. Taylor, who can at least catch 30-plus passes in a season. Uh, I think the wide receiver room is where it's most interesting. Keep an eye on tight end. Austin Hooper is now there, and they haven't re-signed Furkser. They haven't re-signed Michael Pruitt. Jeff Swain should, shouldn't be too much of an issue. But Hooper's another one of those guys like Mo Alley-Cox where I don't think anyone's going to be signing him on with real expectations uh, you know, before the season starts. But when Dwayne and I are here on the first Sunday night and we see that Austin Hooper 80% route rate, that's when we might be jumping on the train. Wide receiver is where it gets a little more interesting, Dwayne. AJ Brown, you can rank him wide receiver six, wide receiver nine. You're gonna be hard pressed to rank him as a non-wide receiver one. Are you interested in Robert Woods? Because I've heard some people talk about how, oh, he can fill the Corey Davis role. One, I think he's gonna be used much differently than Corey Davis. Davis is more of a downfield threat for the Titans. Two, Corey Davis was like a Wide receiver 30 that year. I'm not so sure that's the upside we should be looking to chase much to begin with. Robert Woods, I think, coming to this team is someone that's going to be a great real-life addition. I mean, PFS number one run-blocking receiver last year. Uh, He's one of only five wide receivers with at least 50 rush attempts over the past four years. Super versatile. I think he can impact games only getting, you know, a couple of targets. I'm just not so sure he's someone that we should be going out of our way to get on our fantasy squad. He's also 38 years old coming off a major injury.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. It's a uh, run heavy offense.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, and and they're run heavy in every game script. They don't care. They don't care if they're losing, if they're close, if they're leading, they are going to run the football. They even continue to do that once Derrick Henry was gone last year. Got a little bit less run centric, but still compared to the rest of the league, like one of the run most run heavy teams. So I don't see that changing. So that makes woods the number two option, you know, in a low volume pass game. That means he's going to have to come through with efficiency. Now he's age 30. He's not necessarily like this big playmaker. I right. think he, he's best fit in a high volume passing offense where he gets to serve as the wide receiver too. Um, and, you know, the the nature of the offense helps boost right really his his target share. Um so I, I do think like you said, good for the Titans. Um could make the Titans just a better team overall. Um but I look at wide re- I look at Robert Woods as a wide receiver four.
0: or do you think Canahill finished last year uh, fantasy points per game among QBs?
1: Oh man, like I don't know. It's like uh a... 15. I don't know. Was it Nailed there? it.
0: 15. Seven rushing touchdowns in consecutive years. I'm not so sure we can uh, chalk those in, but I guess the upside just not there. And that's probably why we don't need to worry about Tannehill that much. But I think hey. he
1: still, I think he belongs just below. I think you got Cousins and Carr together. Tier. In, in the yeah. bottom of the tier. Like it's all one tier, but kind of like sub tier within it. I think Tannehill is kind of like your backstop. Like so if yeah. you were to take Trey Lance. And then you wanted to have a backstop of, you know, one of these quarterbacks that don't run but could get could feasibly throw thirty-five touchdowns. I think easily you put Carr and Cousins under the thirty-five touchdown range. That would be a stretch for Tannehill but you yeah. still know what you're getting. And he does give you a little more upside from the rushing department, which kind of offsets, you know, not, you know, not feeling as bullish right on the number of touchdown passes. you think He's going to throw in yards.
0: I was just surprised to see that QB 15 finish. Cause to me, it felt like a bit of a step back. Cause two previous years he was QB 10, QB 12 and QB 15. I get it. You know, the, the, the line's going down, but yeah, I think he put it best though. So he's a good backstop. Certainly not someone to necessarily build your team around. We have reached the final team. The Washington Commanders. Really, I guess the you know some of the worst heartbreak I had during the entire free agency cycle was them bringing back J.D. McKissick. Mm-hmm. Dwayne, I mean, you have Antonio Gibson, I believe, like RB twenty-three or so. The guys, like J.D. McKissick, is they just brought him back. What do you think is going to happen? Just out of the blue, he's going to sit back. Like, I know, I understand we want that to happen. If it hasn't happened yet, I don't know what's going to. Let's not forget Antonio Gibson really was not good last year. Okay. He got a ton of volume, especially at the end of the season. He was only one of four running backs to hit 300 touches, but on the ground, man, couldn't stop fumbling. Wasn't giving us the big time explosive play rate. Wasn't as shifty as he was in year one. It it wasn't good. And now we have McKissick who is good at his job. And he's someone that again, I'm going to say this stat 10 million more times this offseason. Only Alvin Kamara has more catches over the last two seasons. So, yeah, bringing someone back with a similar receiving workload as Alvin Kamara is bad for Antonio Gibson. You know, shocker there. So, not feeling great about that. Dwayne and I are going to be lower on Gibson than consensus throughout the offseason, and we are good with that. And now, if you're in
1: Dynasty and you think you can still get something for Gibson, just sell. Like They don't have a ton of draft capital wrapped up in the guy. You're going to look up, and he's going to be 27. Like, he's going to be – he'll be 24 this year. They signed McKissick to a two-year deal. Um, Like I think it's just you're probably going to get more out of moving him now than trying to hold on. That that's that's the way I look at his profile at this point. Had McKissick been gone, we were all in. But like this this is this is just it destroys his value.
0: Terry McLaurin facing. Sadly, the best quarterback situation of his career with Carson Wentz under center. Uh, I am bullish on Terry this year, but we need to see exactly what's going to go on in the draft. I will drop him if they go ahead and add someone like a Drake London. But if we're going into week one with Terry undisputed wide receiver one, Curtis Samuel wide receiver two, then I think that's a situation where we can actually treat McLaurin as a legitimate upside wide receiver two. So again, the draft's gonna make a big difference here. Uh tight end, it looks like Logan Thomas is going to be the feature guy we need to see how his recovery goes back from injury but Dwayne I think the kind of again now we already talked about Gibson overall thoughts on McLaren and Curtis Samuel am I maybe just reading a little bit too much into an offense that yeah does have Carson Wentz under center
1: well, I think, you know, we've talked about Wentz's struggles already earlier. Yeah. So if, if anybody isn't, you know, already fully asleep, you know, and you just wake up and hear us talking, you can rewind to that part, you know, um, if you missed it because you passed out. But um, <laughs> with, Mac- with McLaurin, you're gonna have to split this into two episodes. If, with McLaurin, um, I'm not as concerned, honestly, about if they add someone, I think that will probably impact his ADP more than it will the way I feel about him. And here's why. Like, look, this has been a starved passing game. For other options, you know, the whole time Terry McLaurin's been there. His adjusted target shares are 22%, 23%, and 23%. So I think we basically know what he is. He's probably not going to bounce up into being a 30% target share guy. So if that's the case, I would rather him be in an offense that has another weapon that defenses are worried about. You know, that that's where I think you start to talk about the efficiency. Like, you know, you hear these arguments all the time and you see them on Twitter. Well, the efficiency is gonna go up this or that. The way I look at these things, like you're obviously looking at both, but for a profile like McLaurin, he's probably about what he is. He might get to twenty five percent of the targets. And that would be great. But if you know he's never going to be a, you know, you can't never say never, but it most likely he's never going to be a 30, 32, 33% alpha, then why not just add another weapon that could potentially make the overall offense better and make his life better? And so that's the way that I'm looking at McLaurin. I Even if they drafted Drake London in the first round, I don't think I'm going to move his ADP um, because I think he's still going to get his 22 to 23%. Drake London is just going to take it from a lot of other guys on the team that didn't deserve targets last year.
0: That is going to wrap up you know, sh- this short and sweet edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Dwayne, next week, uh, I saw you sent in our you know, company Slack chat. You got your QB, running back, wide receiver, and tight end best ball tiers. I'm going to have my top 50, uh, top 250. <laughs> top 50, that'd be a, that'd be a hard <laughs> article. I was like,
1: wow, you're really getting get some stretch yeah, goals.
0: Really, really putting in the hours. <laughs> top 250 will be out on Monday, and I got some extra best ball-related content. I'm going to be starting. Uh, we're going to do some best ball streams here. I haven't picked a night yet. I'll talk to you more about that later, uh, Dwayne, but I'm sure I'll drag your ass onto those plenty and we'll convert them to those. Yeah. I uh,
1: I think people love them. I'm going
0: to, I'm going to finagle this so we can go live uh, with Streamyard on the YouTube. And you guys can comment. We can be a lot more interactive uh, throughout the episode. So I think that'll be a good time. And I'm going to push those episodes onto the podcast. And Hey, if you don't really enjoy the best ball stream, like that's fine. Don't listen to it. Uh, But I just figure like might as well give people the opportunity to also do so same thing in my, with an upcoming USFL podcast that I'm going to be publishing on this channel. So if you guys really uh, want to dive into a league that has four freaking games that's it that's all you need to keep an eye on throughout the week it's a Sunday afternoon slate but it's being called a football league I will keep you fully on updated with that gambling fantasy all that so much more with the USFL side of things Dwayne haven't talked about next week's plan but I think the thing that I think the strategy would make the most sense let's pod four times QB, RB, wide receiver tight end and let's just crush it man why the hell not
1: why the hell not I, I think that sounds great Ian it go, it'll go right along with where my brain's already at so you're just making it easy on me.
0: Love it. Love you, Dwayne. Love all you listeners I out there you, as well. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care.